This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Head there to check out exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, Talk King of the Hill, the What a Cartoon Movie podcast, and tons more. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where discarded pizza boxes are an excellent source of cheese. I'm your host, the pantsless Mickey Mouse fan Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of the Simpsons, who is here with me today as always. Henry Gilbert, and all a man really needs is an idea and a podcast. And here's our special guest on the line today. Mike Drucker. I didn't know if I was supposed to say my own name. Mike Drucker. And this week's episode is Brother, Can You Spare Two Dimes? Lady. <laughs> You just gave me the idea of a lifetime. How do I thank you? Please don't hurt me. Consider it done. This week's episode originally aired on August 27th, 1992. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my God. Oh boy, Bobby. End of the road by Boys to Men tops the charts. Super Mario Kart is released in both Japan and America around the same time. And right after this special episode of The Simpsons, Martin debuts on Fox. Yes, and it should be noted, that's why this one is airing a month before season four officially starts. It's to boost the premiere of Martin. Mm -hmm. They're very invested in the Martin Lawrence vehicle, which (laughs) it is one of their highest rated shows they've got. Like, I think it's a bigger hit than Simpsons this year and the Simpsons are boosting it up and Martin will air for the next four weeks after this episode of Simpsons airs before the official season four premiere. I think because that's how they promote it. That's why this isn't season four on Mm -hmm. DVDs even as well. I mean, it was because of The Simpsons that I was an early Martin viewer. I was first to the Martin table. And he was quite (laughs) randy. I thought it was too dirty for me. I wasn't even 10 yet. I'm a week away from turning 10 when this episode aired. And I was like, ooh, this seems too dirty for me. I watched the original Martin commercial, which I'm going to plug in in the break for listeners. It is him saying, like, don't we get busy every day? I could imagine me as a nine-year-old seeing that and being like, oh, that's that's for mommies and daddies. That's not for I thought, tell me more. (laughs) You know what, Henry? You so crazy. (laughs) Damn, Gina. That's why I say that to that. I want to pull up more episodes and watch them also because we just did, at the time of this recording, a whole podcast about Little Shop of Horrors, which stars two Martin co-stars, Tina Arnold and Tisha Campbell. Yes, one of the few sitcoms in which the wife got a restraining order from the husband (laughs) in real life. Yes, in real life. Wait, wait, the actor that played Tisha Campbell and Martin Lawrence had some rough times. Yes, he was suffering from, let's say, exhaustion is what we want to call it. Yeah, I remember that. Oh man, I didn't know there was a restraining order. I believe that they have made up enough to have done reunion stuff together. I think they're on better terms now, but yes. That's why Gina is not in a lot of the final episodes of The Martin Show. Yeah, it was quite a big event, the Martin debut, but a big event for nerds was Super Mario Kart changing the game as it were, on racing games. I was there. It brought me everything that F-Zero wouldn't. I was not an F-Zero fan, and this gave me Mario characters and weapons. So I was way into this from the beginning. I distinctly remember playing that two-player with my sister, the balloon mode, and just being like, whoa, it's like she's in a virtual world, and I'm in a virtual world, and we're both in this world. Like, it blew my mind that the idea of being in, like, a quasi-three-dimensional space with someone else, and you're both human. 
and you're splitting probably like a 13 inch tube TV yeah. screen to, to do this. Even, I mean, the technology was so leading edge that even in single player mode, your gameplay took up the top half of the screen and that's it. And man, the visual design sense is like, I love it so much. It's so colorful. It's so fun. I know they had to remove all the alcohol for America, but even their celebration <laughs> is great. They can pop the champagne, but they can't drink it. Right, right. <laughs> Though, you know what? The one, I played it some, but I did not obsessively get into Mario Kart until the 64 era of it. That was when I played it the most. But yeah, and two, when I was looking at the release dates, I am so used to, in this time in 92, video games having like a year apart thing for Japan and America. But it was basically two weeks in between US and Japanese release dates, at least according to the wiki. Not I a lot of dialogue to yeah. edit right. in that game. <laughs> and End of the Road, I mean, 90s gave us all the best funeral songs, right? We have End of the Road, <laughs> we have Bone Thugs and Harmony Crossroads, and we have uh, One Sweet Day. Man, yeah, yeah. that's a trio that fills out your whole funeral. That's, <laughs> that's, that's opening, middle, and exit. Yeah. But, yeah. I listened to that song a lot. I heard a lot of Boys to Men as a youth. I got into them more than other, well, I guess... Would you call them a boy band? Now I feel weird calling a boy band, but I really did like Hey, it's them. in the name. Yeah. Right, right, right. They're top of the charts. They actually, with this song, I often look to what was number one on billboards when doing these history things, but they set a record for the longest. They break the Beatles record for holding number one the hmm. longest with this, but nobody remembers this because this record, it lasts for about two months, and then Whitney Houston's Bodyguard comes out, uh, and uh, it shatters get- the boys to men I, I mean i mostly associate boys to men with being a mainstay at middle school dances yeah. and just vividly remembering the dj playing i'll make love to you as 10 and 11 year olds were slow dancing with each other <laughs> <laughs> these were catholic school dances by the way oh man Joining us once again is Mike Drucker. Mike, welcome back to the show. You were last with us for Day of the Jackanapes, the last Sideshow Bob episode. Not the last one, but the last one we covered. Yeah, yeah. That was a super fun episode. Thank you. First of all, thank you guys for having me back. I love being here and doing this podcast. And I really like the episodes you give me. I feel like you guys give me like some real meaty ones, and I always appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Well, I mean, this one, especially when I look at your IMDb page of, of all your credits, I also saw like you've written for award shows and you're an award winning and Emmy nominated writer. Yep. So I was like, well, this guy probably has a lot to say about an episode that <laughs> is kind of about the Emmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An episode that if it's about anything, it's about the Emmys because it's such a funny episode. But as far as a plot, they admit on the commentary, this is a scattershot plot episode. <laughs> but a, a hilarious really is. You know, Henry, I was Gonna, I was saving this for now. This may shock you, but you and I also have IMDb pages now. Whoa! Because the unworthy art of podcasting is now on IMDb. Yeah! So I am on Podcast the Ride as self. Whoa! Yeah! Wow! See? I can't believe this. Thanks to whoever put that on there. <laughs> uh, we'll have these credits removed, Mike. We'll have them removed. Don't worry. I'm you writing to the president them. of IMDb. No. <laughs> well, I hope that Mike doesn't get added. Well, his IMDb doesn't include our podcast on it. No, I our podcast isn't there. Oh, okay. Well, good. I mean, you can put me there. If you're a fan listening, put it on my IMDb. <laughs> When I was on that same IMDb, I was like, right, you've uh, been head writer of uh, shows like Full Frontal with Smith B, wrote on The President Show. And also, though, I missed this until now that you wrote on Mystery Science Theater 3000 season 13. Yeah, the most recent season I wrote on. I only wrote on two episodes, but it was really, really fun. That is awesome. Yeah. Man. I said it before. Now you're living all these dreams I had as a kid. One, drive for Mystery Science Theater. Two, 
you wrote canonical 616 Peter Parker yeah. dialogue yeah. in Spider-Man comics. So the question for Mike is, why are you stealing Henry's dreams? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. But these are his, damn it. But I think Henry overall is a happier person than me. You know, probably has a bigger group of friends than me. I mean, mine's real. I'm going to die surrounded by strangers. I feel like Henry's going to have a lot of. <laughs> we'll have the listeners weigh in. Who do you think yeah, is happiest? Well, we'll do it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. But no, I mean, you're first off. Yes. What do you think of this episode as far as it goes with like its thoughts on award shows? It's not wrong about award shows. I mean, I'm sure if you're listening, you've watched this episode, but they sort of create this award show at the last minute because homer asks for it as part of like a cash settlement because radiation plant made him sterile they throw this very emmys like ceremony and it very is like that here's the thing that bumped me about the whole bit and i'd seen this episode before but watching it now after we talked about it the fact that he's sitting so high up and he's set to win would never happen <laughs> like usually if not they don't fix it where if you're close to the stage you definitely won but if, if they know you're probably gonna win they sit you very close because it takes so much time to get to the stage and it makes me feel bad that that's what stuck out to me i've seen some golden globes where they have to walk a long way there's a lot of time killing yeah they need to get their seating charge especially if news reporting is to be taken as true <laughs> if allegations are true you'd feel like the golden globes would have a better idea of knowing mm. who was going to win based on who paid the most for yeah something. i mean but, you're, you're, i can't yeah. say you're not wrong but i can imply <laughs> you're not wrong Hey, I'm just talking about what I read in the newspaper. Yeah. Uh, that's all. Yeah. Well, a lot of this in this episode is their bitterness over losing an Emmy for the third season, <laughs> even though they won for the first two. Yeah. And they would win dozens and dozens yeah. more after that. It's a little crazy. Uh, yes, Mike, what, what do you think of the Simpsons being mad they didn't win three Emmys in a row for this? I mean, I have lost eight Emmys in a row, so I understand being mad when you don't win one. I don't know, like, I, the only industry award I've won is I've won two Writers Guild Awards. And I think the first one was, like, you go nuts because you're like, oh, my God, like, I've actually won this thing from my peers. Like, you really do have a moment that is is insane. And the second time it wasn't, like, whatever, but you're sort of like, if I lose, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I got, and maybe that's just me, but I was sort of like, I got enough of the pie. I was, someone hugged me once. I don't need to take all the <laughs> hugs. But, you, Yeah. They have joked that, I mean, at least before Disney bought the show, the show had so many executive producers that that kind of weighed against them when they were up for an Emmy because that meant they'd have to pass out a lot of Emmys Yeah, at the ceremony. Yeah. It was going to cost them a lot of money. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just so funny to... I actually dug into the Variety archives to try to figure out the timeline of this because here's the complicated timeline of it. If you just went by Wikipedia... You would think that The Simpsons got mad early because the Emmys actually air three days after this episode. Hmm. So you might think, well, wait, how did they not know? But it was on the earlier Emmys, the... Technical? Technical. Yeah, it was... I believe I've heard Dan Harmon call them the Schmemmies, which I think <laughs> is a funny yeah. name for it. But I found the August and August 7th, 1992 Variety article that mentions there that The Simpsons lost. So about three weeks beforehand, they had lost to, we've talked about it before, Radio Bart loses to the Will Vinton Claymation Easter. So within those three weeks, are able to add in the extra line in this episode calling the Emmys <laughs> ours. Mm -hmm. And I do agree with the David Silverman theory that because it was up against the first year of Ren and Stimpy, 
that Ren and Stimpy and Simpsons split the yeah. in the no votes, and so the kids thing won. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Also, I want to add that the technical Emmys are so much more fun than the real Emmys. In the Writers Guild, one of the weird rules is like some of the categories switch every other year. So like one year you're at primetime, one year you're at technical. One, when you're at technical, if you're a writer, you're kind of like the king of the Morlocks. Like, we're all, you know, the ah people, but like, people are like, oh, you're a writer. Whereas when you're at the real Emmys, people are like, oh, oh, that's nice. But it's also very nice because the technical ones give out all the awards for like the people just working on a show. So you like, will see someone holding an Emmy and be like, oh, what'd you win? They were like, oh, I won best special effects makeup. And you'll like talk to them about that. The technical Emmys are so much less pressure. There's so much less freaking out. Like, there's so much less, like, everybody in their seats. You do not leave while we're filming. (laughs) And it's not that they care less. Like, the food's still great. It's still a really good time. But it's such a better experience. I mean, I'm proud to go to any Emmys. But, I mean, the technical (laughs) Emmys, you just really feel like you're like, oh, these are normal people who are up for industry awards. It's really nice. And as a viewer, it seems like people are a little looser, having a little better, maybe enjoying more liquids during the show, (laughs) too. It's extra funny that then Bart actually intros the awards on Fox this year. I played it in an earlier episode we did, I think in the auto show one. But Bart not only does the intro to the broadcast, it's actually preceded by a pair of season one episodes of the simpsons so it's like it's sunday august 30th you're tuning in for the emmys and if you come in an hour early you're getting to watch the simpsons homer's night out and love on the fast lane okay okay and last bit of emmy stuff where i also feel like the simpsons are being maybe just a tad selfish here is that (laughs) or just to be sore losers is that in addition to all this grousing that they lost in outstanding animated program this is the same year where the emmys invent the new category outstanding voiceover performance which is essentially invented for the simpsons and the first people to win it are six simpsons people (laughs) dan julie yardley nancy and then guest stars marsha wallace and jackie mason right so the simpsons even did win (laughs) emmys this year but just not the one writers would get an award those darn writers (laughs) i'm looking it up now and to date the simpsons has won 34 primetime emmy awards in four categories and has been nominated 78 times in nine different categories. So that's quite a bit yeah. of Emmy gold for The yeah. Simpsons. I don't condone their feelings, but I do understand because I've definitely like been on a show where we were nominated for five Emmys and like one small thing won. And you're like, that's amazing. Like our show got an Emmy, but you're also like, man, fuck them. I should have won. <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you know you're wrong to feel that way. Right. I understand. It. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I have one more preamble thing. This is a landmark episode. It is the first one where Conan O'Brien is a credited producer and he'd be on the show for about 18 months until Marge on the Lamb. That's the last episode he's credited on. So yes, Conan O'Brien has finally arrived, folks. And I can definitely tell he's on the show, especially with certain little scenes that feel like this is a Conan O'Brien act out in the room. Burns telling off his lawyers. I feel like Conan just pitched that screaming at people in the room it just feels like it i wasn't there i don't have that verified but it feels like it absolutely yes now i do think they hired we'll have a whole conan thing but i definitely think they hired him one because he's an amazing writer but also he is a great hang in the writer's room and they all went to college with him and he's their friend and bob odenkirk didn't want to work on the simpsons oh and also yeah we found that out as we learned from bob odenkirk's memoir he didn't want to do (laughs) and conan just turned 60 he's looking great yeah he's looking great yeah Yeah. 
Is he still doing the beard? I haven't seen him. When he's off television, he grows a beard. I saw a recent pic, no beard. Okay. It comes and goes. (laughs) And, you know, on the commentary, too, they mention it's really funny because the boss is on this one, James L. Brooks, and Mm -hmm. it puts a different feel to the commentary. Everybody's having fun, but even Matt Groening kind of, like, laughs when he's going to say, like, I think, Jim, you wanted us to do that. They're all kind of like... Al Jean is telling his story of working 20-hour days for two weeks on the show, and Brooks kind of goes like, what? No. He says bullshit. Yeah, you're right. He literally calls bullshit on it. He looks up from his piles of money that he's counting. (laughs) But consider that Al Jean is co-show running a show with Mike Reese. It being animated means nobody gets a summer off like you do on live action, and... They are developing the critic at the exact same time. So Yeah, writing season four, doing post-production on season three, and developing the critic. I mean... And developing, <laughs> like, the crusty show before that, before it became the critic, right? Yeah, Mike, does that workload sound realistic to you? It sounds realistic in the sense that people do take on those workloads, but they do destroy you. But it is pretty common to be, like, working on a project while deep into development for another. The weird thing is you're almost lucky when you're allowed to do that because a lot of times either through the development itself or through the job they might be like we want your full focus on just this. You're not allowed to like work on this while you're working on this. It's weird to say it's almost like a luxury to be able to do a lot of development at once. This episode also does feel like the right we we say it every end of a season and this is technically the third to last season production season 3 episode. This definitely feels like it's written by tired people. Like some parts of it feel a little first draft or just very like uh but again, this is a hilarious episode. But yeah. uh, if you want to like pull apart plotting, you can say like, well, this feels kind of rushed. Like, oh, this <laughs> plot point just like it ex- comes in here out of nowhere. <laughs> and yeah, the story behind the scenes is after Uncle Herb's first appearance, where he leaves on a bus destroyed by Homer. Honestly, he's to blame for it. But uh, it was James O. Brooks who said he didn't like that ending for herb and he wanted to bring back herb and have him have an american dream rags to riches kind of story a comeback story and additionally like he wanted to work with devito again and bring him back i think that Schwarzwalder as a writer was given this idea of like yeah it's uh, you know he gets rich again it's an american success story and he turns it into a intentionally satirical like ridiculous fairy tale <laughs> of impossibility that begins with a hobo yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievably after this episode you'll never see herb again on screen in 2013 he calls homer for a one-line gag and they and they got devito back but that's it he never appeared again and he goes i'm poor again right (laughs) yes homer says hey we don't ignore family ring ring homer i gotta call and tell you i'm poor again and then homer hangs up on him so <laughs> there apparently uh, this is a quote from an interview in 1994 with Hank Azaria about the show in general. But he is quoted as saying the second time Danny DeVito was like, yeah, 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 let's get it over with. He did a great job, but he didn't enjoy the process. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He would go on to be a semi prolific voice actor. I mean, he at least be in Hercules, right? Yeah, he's in Hercules. He's the villain of Space Jam. Yeah. He's, oh, yeah, and he's still doing voice stuff. I mean, he is 78 now and still doing a ton of work all the time. Everybody loves him. Mike, has, has your world ever intersected with Danny DeVito? No, I wish uh. so much. He's one of like the three or four celebrities where I'm like, if I met them, I'd actually be like pretty nervous. If you ever pitch to Jersey Films, like you have to insist you get to pitch to Danny DeVito. Oh but God, just think, no that. matter who you are, you'll be taller than him. <laughs> so true. he won't be intimidated. <laughs> 
I do remember my ex's best friend always talked about how she was like third cousins with Danny DeVito. Like that was her thing to bring up in conversation. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, hey, I brag about it too. It's also funny because DeVito and business wise was working less with Brooks. Like DeVito wouldn't have his career without James L. Brooks or he'd have a very different career because he got cast on Taxi by Brooks and other people, but Brooks was one of the main guys on it. And so without Taxi, DeVito, who knows where he'd be. But at this time, DeVito, who had done War of the Roses in 89 with Gracie Films, he now has launched his own production company, Jersey Films, and he's about to put out Hoffa. And of course, when this episode aired, Batman Returns still in theaters. Oh, very nice synergy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking that season three has two sequel episodes. It has Black Widower and this one. So I, I bet a lot of viewers thought, oh, like, oh, Unky Herb will be back be with another crazy invention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he came back every year and needed to, like, it was just one year, he comes back and he's lost all his money again. Next year, he comes back, gets all his money back. And also, yeah, by the way, Jersey Films, they have a pretty good batting average. Technically, Pulp Fiction. Oh, yes, that's a Miramax film. But they were first on it. Aaron Brockovich, Get Shorty, Reality Bites, Out of Sight, Super Troopers, Reno 911, Ghost Jeez. World, Garden State. Gattaca. Gattaca. Yes, more on IMDb. His most recent credit is like a Gattaca TV adaptation producer credit. Hey, so, that's actually yeah. pretty cool. Though, of course, he is still, I don't think they've... It's been a few years since a new episode of Always Sunny, but I think he's up for it whenever. And he did write a Penguin comic recently, too, hmm. which I didn't know that. I didn't read the comic, but I will say the blurb I read on it sounded like fanfic by Danny DeVito, which is, <laughs> I believe, part of the story is that it's basically he writes a new story for the penguin that he played in the movie, <laughs> except this time Catwoman dates him. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, you know, he is the best penguin. Whoever that new guy was, the guy in the fat suit, whatever his name Colin was. Farrell. I yeah, barely Farrell. recognize him as a penguin style character. I agree. Like, he wasn't a bad character, but he wasn't the penguin. He was just like a mob bossy guy. Ah, oh, come on. Uh, you're breaking my heart. Yeah. Wait, he was a Cockney, though, right? He wasn't Italian. Yeah. He was British, at least. His right? Britishness is a recent invention oh, for him. Oh, okay, okay. Would it surprise you I don't remember a lot of that movie? <laughs> well, Bob, you better get excited because The Penguin's coming back in a Max original series Max. Uh, in the next year. Yeah. Took out the HBO. I, <laughs> what if they just film it all and burn it? That'd be fun. If that saves some tax money, they will. Yeah. But I feel that's what that's why subscription fee is paying for, right? Listen, that's happened to a lot of us lately. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm not trying to add oh, salt to the oh, wound. Oh, no, you're not. Well, see, your problem is you're not as famous as Colin Farrell, though. If you were, mm. they probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, I think if I was <laughs> handsome and talented, I'd be way further along. Also, last year, by the way, that's a year of like fat suits. It's like, you know what? Yeah. There are heavy actors who could take these roles, but instead they take very attractive people and then like, all right, let's put you in clumps makeup now. <laughs> it, uh, it, it feels wrong. It's, to it's me. a shallow halification of our attractive celebrities, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still in this thought from a tweet. I forget who wrote it. I'm sorry, person who had this great original thought, but it was that they spotlighted the whale in this, but they were saying that movies that get an Oscar for makeup, but not best picture or director have an evil energy. And it was like the whale, the eyes of Tammy Faye <laughs> and monster. That was another 
And just like, you will believe a beautiful person could be ugly. That's the magic of the movie. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Uh, Honestly, though, but, my dad was like, see, she's a good actor. You know, she looked ugly. My dad, just so aesthetics forward. He liked Tulsi Gabbard for a while. <laughs> oh, wow, man. I, I don't know if it was about her policies or if it was about that she's conventionally attractive. But uh, she should star in Monster. That's the real. <laughs> mo- hey, that's a bad joke. Okay, well, this episode though begins first. Speaking of jokes, there's a sign that says "No jokes" that starts this episode. <laughs> what are they at the TSA? Come on, people. Come on, folks. <laughs> it sucks being that TSA line, being such a funny person who wants to say a funny thing to your husband while walking in line, and you just go like, "Can't even joke in these TSA lines." Well, that's the real cancel culture. <laughs> it is. Yeah. In this line, everybody's in their underwear except for stupid, sexy Lenny <laughs> walking in naked. I like how Homer, like, the direction of his eyes is looking at Lenny's penis. Yeah. Like, he looks down and just like, so, forgot it was physical today. <laughs> so, Lenny just normally doesn't wear underwear. He's a free guy. You know, in 92, that was pioneering, I guess, going commando like that. I like how Homer has to think about it for a second and just like... Hey, can I borrow your underwear? He goes, no. He realizes then he wouldn't have underwear. <laughs> you were saying this is tired writers. There's two scenes that end with a character just saying, no. <laughs> right. Yes. Instead of saying something funny, which is kind of a joke in and of itself. I, I do appreciate that. But I feel like, why do we have to write something? I'm tired. <laughs> yep. Yep. They probably circled it for four or five hours, just knowing it. And eventually like, what if we just say no? And everyone's like, sure, okay, fine. These are the fabled 20-hour workdays that are, are on the record. Oh, so, sometimes those workdays are magic, and sometimes by the end of it, you're like, so I don't. what if she buys a duck? <laughs> Does that make sense? And people are like, I guess, that's pretty. put it on the board. Like Sometimes it's magic, but sometimes it is a weird experience. That's where that line from the Poochie episode where they go like, Poochie good? Uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Like they, they say, that's what uh, end of a long day yeah, uh, tone of good. voice is. Is it get good. us out of work good? <laughs> Another joke that Homer is very fat. He has 104% body fat. Just like in the previous episode we did about Millhouse falling in love. A lot of jokes about the writers feeling unhealthy uh, working in that writer's room. Is there a joke in Call of the Simpsons? He's floating in one of those body fat tanks and he's eating while in it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah, goes, he's... more applesauce. <laughs> See, he just has a chicken leg. and We've got away from the pork chops. Homer's beloved pork chops. I also have Homer's just very, again, talk about a flat joke that's funny in his flatness. Homer doesn't have a funny response. He's like, go to hell. Like, you're just like, <laughs> so are they getting in line to come is what I'm asking. Oh, how? Is this the come line? You're right. How do they get the sperm? I we, was never asking myself. We go yeah. from this line to them looking at the sperm samples. I'm not trying to be blue people. No, no, This is yeah. the show putting these pieces together in my head for me. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, Homer lists <laughs> a lot of things. Turn your head that way, cough, spread apart that. Where does the semen collection come in in this? <laughs> see it's a tough question this should be a like great a, day at work for homer that question was definitely raised in the room and they were like what if we just don't discuss that we just skip ahead guys you rarely get to see the main character's sperm on screen in a sitcom <laughs> in such a positive way too especially when we get to smithers 
this is paving the way to the filth of Martin that scared away young Henry. Henry's yeah. like, I'll stare at a sperm sample, but this Martin fellow, <laughs> well, I don't think so. Well, it's clinical in this. So yes, after Homer lazily tells Marge about the very invasive physical that he had, and I love the animation of him, his walk, it's very well observed, like the way he gets the beer out of the six pack. Yeah. It's good animation. But then we start the next scene with Smithers announcing that uh, Homer is sterile. <laughs> He's very hands-on with the employees. He's yeah. the one looking at all the sperm. Well, hands I don't, on, indeed. I, I don't know if he was the milker, as it were. <laughs> yes, no. Certainly there is a joke here of the pride at which Smithers shows his his semen to Burns. Like, he's yeah. like, man, if you look at this good sample here. And if you listen closely, Smithers' sperm are making little Smithers noises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're going, eh, 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 eh. And I like that Burns uh, is, like, appreciative. It's not like tawdry. It's almost like, oh, yes. Oh, there's almost like race science where it's like, oh, those are pure blood sperm. Yes, it's like, very good. Very Thank good. You. That has to be an $8,000 cell, just the cell of Smithers sperm, and I <laughs> no. want it. I want the three-eyed, blinky Homer sperm. That's the, the sperm. <laughs> this episode is full of sequel scenes that, you know, when you do this like we do, you can see jokes build over time of runners and all this, and so... In I Married Marge earlier in season three, when Homer talks about in the past getting a job at the power plant, Marge says, well, here, that makes you sterile. And Homer says, now you tell me. Now the sterility is finally coming home to roost here. They set it up. Now it's finally arrived. This is when Burns is told that he might need to talk to his lawyers and... This is also a sequel scene to Bart gets hit by a car when he's screaming at his lawyers just a little bit. And I had to get the clip because I don't know if I've ever heard Harry Shearer in anything have this much energy. He is going for it in our first clip here. I'm afraid radiation from the plant is the reason he's shooting blanks. He could sue us for millions. Mother of Pearl, call my lawyers. Before you begin, uh, let me make one thing clear to you. I want your legal advice. I even pay for it. But to me, you're all vipers. You live on personal injury. You live on divorces. You live on pain and misery. But I'm rambling. Anybody want any coffee? I'll have some coffee. Want it black, don't you? Black like your heart? It's so hard for me to listen to you. I hate you all so much. I'm sorry, it's my problem. I'll deal with it. Please continue. If you offer Mr. Simpson a token sum, say a couple of thou, he'll be so dazzled, he'll sign anything you shove under his nose. Oh, brilliant. A cash settlement. I could have figured that out, you button-down maggot! You have any cream? Oh, yes, of course. Where are my manners? <laughs> so great. Yeah. I love that last joke. <laughs> I think Harry Shearer hit those heights when he found out the show was renewed for two more years. <laughs> He was talking to his own lawyers then. <laughs> yeah, his anger, God, it's just so good. Technically, if you think of writing Burns correctly, this kind of scene isn't correct for Burns. Like, he shouldn't have this kind of energy screaming all the time. But... And he should like evil lawyers, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love this scene. Though now that you mention it, Bob, yes, now only see Conan O'Brien acting this out and doing this. Just saying, I hate you all! (laughs) Well, when we interviewed Jeff Martin, he mentioned Conan Writer's Room Game, 
when he would play the evil boss in a improvised scene that he would just do over and over again of like the scene where somebody says oh you think that's funny do you well so do i <laughs> and the game he would do it he would just grow it bigger and bigger every time like so you really think that's funny you really do and like he would work himself to be, be like purple in his face and then it's finally go well so do i <laughs> Mike, what makes somebody a good entertainer in a writer's room? Who are the good jokesters in a writer's room? Well, there's a difference between necessarily the entertainers and the jokesters. Like, there are people who are great at pitching jokes, but they're not there to perform. They're not going to song and dance. Like, there'll be people in the back where it's like, okay, but like, what if it's a modern song, but you do it old timey? And everyone's like, oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, like that. And then there's people who kind of like song and dance it. And both are extraordinarily useful and extraordinarily important. I think in either case, one, it's to sort of like be comfortable with what you're good at, uh, especially in comedy writers room. A lot of people come in thinking they have to like be on and dazzle and be like, I'm the fun of the show. And, <laughs> you know, some people have the charisma to pull it off and some people don't. And so it's not like you should shut up and not talk, but it's sort of like you need to sort of figure out like where you fit in. You know, you kind of have to ease into it. Like, you don't want to bum rush into it and be like, I'm the new one, and I'm going to pitch first. <laughs> and it's not like a cruel hierarchy, at least most places I've been. But it's more like you sort of, one, you want to sort of figure out what you're good at and be comfortable with it. And two, you don't want it to step on other people. Like, if you're the lively dude who's doing bits, you're awesome. If you're the lively one who does a bit in the middle of someone pitching something for the show, you're annoying. And it just slows everything down. I mean, you know, not to do a cliche, but it's timing. It's timing with that sort of thing, too, where it's like, I know now is the time to jump in and do a bit. I know when it's not, when we're all frustrated and just want to go home. If I start doing a vaudeville bit, everyone's just going to be mad. <laughs> so I think, honestly, it's kind of just being a good person in the sense of paying attention to other people, not stepping on other people, trying to help the room. That's the other thing is like, as much of a cliche as it is, when you yes and an idea, it's so much more valuable than when you no but it. When you go, oh, but maybe we can make it work this way. Like that makes you a vital person. A lot of people, again, because they want to shine, you know, will be like, well, I don't think we should do that because this, which just pisses people off and makes people not want to work with you. Mm. So it's being supportive. You know, you always hear horror stories of rooms that aren't supportive, and that's just because everyone in writer's rooms have giant egos. But it's really, if you want to succeed in a writer's room, it's, you know, figure out what you're good at and be okay with that. And make sure you're paying attention to what everyone else wants and everyone else needs because you're not the star of the show. That makes a lot of sense. But how many people in your writer's room have gone on to host The Tonight Show? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's if fair. you're as talented as Conan O'Brien, <laughs> one day you can host the podcast just like us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. You can invent podcasting. Mm -hmm. He I did. As Conan O'Brien did. Yeah. No. <laughs> but. The Simpsons will be right back. Listen up, America. Comedy has a new face. What? And his name. Hey. Is Martin Lawrence. It's me. Uno Nuno. He's got his own style. Your man even do the cabbage patch for you. He's got his own philosophy. I'm romantic, you know that. Don't we get busy every day? And now he's got his own show. You just make sure I get in free. Martin. What up? A new Fox comedy premiering Thursday, August 27th. 
Tonight, you're invited to a pre-Emmy party. Celebrate their nine Emmy nominations. Oh, my God! With a special full hour of The Simpsons. Then, it's the 44th Annual Emmy Awards. Join the salute to TV's funniest women. Be there to honor the stars who said goodbye this year. And laugh with today's brightest and hottest comedy stars. Join hosts Tim Allen, Kirstie Alley, and Dennis Miller. Tonight, beginning at 7 on Fox 5. With apologies to the comments I made to the United Nations, it's Henry Gilbert here, and a big thank you to our guest this week, Mike Drucker. So fun to have him on for all of our questions about the world of comedy writing professionally, and we did all this right before the WGA strike started, so please keep uh, paying attention to what Mike is tweeting up during that, and you know, we support our friends all on the picket lines right now to try and get some fair deals out of those faff cats up in Hollywood. So, but anyway, please follow at Mike Drucker on Twitter for all those updates and for his many funny tweets. And if you're a big fan of this podcast, you should know the talking Simpsons is only possible. Thanks to the support of patrons at patreoncom slash talking Simpsons. The people who subscribe for five bucks a month get tons of exclusives. Not only do they get to hear every episode of talking Simpsons a week ahead of time and ad free, you get to hear next week's episode right now, but also they get, tons of exclusives every month we do a new episode of talk king of the hill and talking futurama where we cover each of those shows super in depth just like we do an episode of the simpsons and once every three months we cover an episode of batman the animated series including a brand new one that just hit the patreon and a giant back catalog of us covering every episode of the critic every episode of mission hill and the many previous episodes of batman please check it all out for yourself once more that's at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. But if you want something nicer than a copy of Ethan Frome to call your own, then you need to sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons because that premium level gets you all the things I just talked about at five bucks, but you also get our premium once a month podcast. What a cartoon movie us going into an animated feature film crazy in depth like an episode of the simpsons meaning usually over five or even six hours long we just did one of our longest ones ever coming out at the end of this month toy story 4 we go through toy story 4 super de duper in depth you are not going to believe all the cool stuff we learned and talk about in that one it was a ton of fun sign up today to hear us talk about toy story 4 it's the start of our summer of pixar movies we've got a whole bunch more coming the rest of the summer and you can hear all of our previous ones the entire five year nearly back catalog of what a cartoon movies reason ones have included for april fools we covered in a live action movie the little shop of horrors musical from 1986 we love that one the month before that we covered the 2000 ardman classic chicken run there's a giant back catalog covering everything from akira to a goofy movie if you want to hear our longest podcast ever six and a half hours about who framed roger rabbit it's all at your fingertips if you go to that ten dollar level so please Check out everything you are missing today at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. I'll also say about these long burn scenes, this one and the award bit, 
again, this feels like a tired late rewrite where they're like, we just cut five pages from this script. Can we get five pages of birds in here? That'll fill this, <laughs> this, will fill this up. Push away Herb from coming back. Him coming up with wrong. the name of the ceremony takes maybe 30 seconds. So. It's so good and long. Half the time, whenever someone's like, I don't understand why this episode had to, to like shoot it. Why is this a bottle episode? You're like, because they lost a million dollars because it rained one of the days and they needed to lose a day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's something I love learning from commentaries that you know like well the reason this was inside here was because like we lost a bunch of money or yeah the reason this episode doesn't have any songs in it is because we blew our budget on music in in the third episode of the season or whatever yeah speaking of money we head somewhere below the poverty line as i get older this scene is funnier and funnier to me because I realized as a kid, I was just like, oh, these are just, you know, these are parodies of hobos and vaudevillian bums, basically. But now I see that the social commentary I feel the Swarswelder is doing here is that, oh, you know, all of those unhoused people you see in life, they were all incredibly successful businessmen <laughs> who had one failure and they instantly yeah. became unhoused, which is not anything that happens in real life i feel like no rich person ever goes from being rich to even like middle class they never go down a level yeah you like hear about certain billionaires who own websites maybe they lose 20 billion in a day are they cutting back on i don't know like luxury toothpaste i don't think so no the closest i can think of that that probably does happen with is short career professional athletes sure yes that definitely Professional athletes, guys like, say, Joe Frazier, right. even, who get a successful him, like, they, they do have financial problems because these are people who are given a ton of money for a thing that they can only do for a small amount of time, and they weren't trained in business, so mm -hmm. it's easy for a million people to just show up and rip them off. Rocky, yeah. too, explores that fairly well, I would say. I forgot about that, right? And by four, he's got his business pretty sorted out by Rocky <laughs> But yes, here, this collection of Chaplin, Red Skelton, Emmett Kelly. And then there's two bums that look like James L. Brooks and Sam Simon, I think. Yeah, the James L. Brooks hobo is the guy who was sued by Disney, which is referencing <laughs> a real case that we'll cover in Lisa the Beauty Queen, where Disney sued a daycare center for putting characters from Disney stuff on its walls. Reading the case, I now side with Disney, which I feel very strange about, which <laughs> we're all feeling strange about having to side with Disney when it comes to a lot of things lately, aren't we? Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do hope they do hurt Ron DeSantis quite a lot. Also, because his wife loves Disney, so it will only make his marriage more unhappy. It's so funny. What if they're both banned from Disney parks? <laughs> is that why he visited Tokyo recently? So he's secretly <laughs> to go to Tokyo Disney, which is I, even better? I think that was it. Why, yeah, he, he's not running for president yet. <laughs> that weird bobblehead Why does he have thing? to go to Tokyo? <laughs> Do you that see that bubble. Where, he's, where he's like, he's like, I'm not running yet. And you're like, oh, my God, dude. He, he, yeah. oof. Man. He became Bilbo when he was hungry for the ring. <laughs> <laughs> also, now when I see this hobo camp, I'm thinking that, well, just it existed years before this. I'm thinking of the Guillermo del Toro version of Nightmare Alley, oh, yeah. which that has several hobo camps in it. Though these guys well, also on that Disney thing, I forgot that there was a thing where Disney, they won't let you put any Disney characters on like graves either. Like there was a very depressing story of a child passes away and he wanted Spider-Man on his grave and Disney would not let them do it disney blocked 
protect it from appearing on a child's grave. It seems seems wrong. Well, I, I say etch Spider-Man on, and they'll be the bad guys for sanding it off in the middle of the night, right? Yeah. yeah. That's bad publicity for them. Yeah. Just saying, I just wouldn't have asked. <laughs> I guess you have to, yeah. whatever, if your grave maker man has to. That's what I'm like, just carve Spider-Man. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but yes, we hear the story of how Herb lost his fortune. Well, I used to own a successful car company. My strategy was giving them Japanese names. <laughs> you guys ever drive a tempura hatchback? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, I got hit by one of those. Yeah. Life was sweet. <laughs> then I found out I had a long-lost half-brother. Homer? Herb? I let him design a car that would make or break my company. Presenting the home. Ruined. Forbes magazine called it the blunder of the century. A little overblown, don't you think? What about new Coke? Hey, I invented that. Yeah, but all that's in the past. Because this is America. And in America, you're never finished as long as you've got a brain in your head. Because all a man really needs is an idea. Well, I'm licked. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> they recycled animation from earlier in the scene for that. It feels like they had a different joke there. But I like just the other hobos going like, well, I'm licked. Me too. They just they give, <laughs> give up. up immediately. <laughs> I'm going and that Forbes magazine is dated to August 1991. If you take the first seasons of Simpsons as happening in real time, then a year ago, this happened to Herb with Homer. And so it would have been on the news story. It would have been on the cover of Forbes in August 91. You know, I was wondering if they brought back New Coke at any point, you know, with all the nostalgia stuff. And they did in 2019. It was a Stranger Things tie-in. You had to pay hand over fist to get it. But I am old enough where I can say I had New Coke when it was new. And I remember that after that, all of the Coke was branded Coca-Cola Classic for many a year, just to let you know, like, it's not the garbage we tried to feed you. Yeah. I never gave New Coke a shot. Well, you were four, Henry. I am an anti-soda person, too, though. I pretty much never did. Were you controlling what you were drinking, like, at the store? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, if somebody opened a can near me, they would have said, do you want to try New Coke? Hey, little buddy, you want to try New Coke? (laughs) I probably would have taken a sip, but I don't don't recall doing that, no. I don't remember... I never had New Coke, but I think I did have Crystal Pepsi. I think that's where my brain started to wake up. Oh, yeah. We were entering our teens when Crystal Pepsi mm-hmm. came around. Oh, so. I was younger. Yeah, that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and because I read the book sequel to Forrest Gump, Gump and Company, it was never made into a movie, and I kind of wanted to because the book is insane. In the book, Forrest does a bunch of other historical crap, and one of the things is he invents New Coke in that book. Man, it's... Uh... <laughs> I can't believe when they made some more new Coke that they made such a small amount of it. Uh, you would figure, like, Stranger Things, like, a billion people watch that show. Like, yeah. you'd figure they'd have made more of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you went to the online store, you could buy a Stranger Things limited edition collector's pack, which costs $20. And for that, you get one 8-ounce glass bottle of Coke Classic and an 8-ounce bottle of, whoa, Okay, you actually get the cans of New Coke along with it. I guess it's like they could legally sell it to you, it sounds like. It has to be some Oh, sorry, you get two cans of New Coke, but you're actually buying the classic bottles. I see. Yeah. I didn't read ahead, I apologize. It's like buying weed from an app. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why do I need change back? I'm buying new Coke. (laughs) While this is very accurate CEO behavior... Herb is an asshole to me. Like, every time I watch these, I'm just like, well, wait, Herb. 
It was your company. You asked Homer to build the car. You gave him no oversight and presented the car without even viewing it before you unveiled it. Yeah. Homer ruined your life? <laughs> like, Homer killed your business, Herb? Yeah, we, we've watched the episode quite a few times now, and we concluded that Herb was at fault. Absolutely. So that's why him in this episode, I'm just like, God, you're an asshole. Like, you're take some fucking blame for yourself, Herb. <laughs> Jesus. But... That, I guess, is why he became a CEO, because he blames everyone else for any failure. Yeah. It's funny, because in that episode, he was like, oh, I want a family. This is what's missing from my life. And then it turns out, no, he just wants his money again. <laughs> right. That's right. So yeah. there's nothing redeemable about him. Clearly, he doesn't love this family, because after this episode, he never wants to see Barter Lisa ever again. <laughs> Even Maggie, who helped him the most in Becoming Rich Again. Yeah. But speaking of changed dialogue in this episode, this is a big one. So they wrote this one. Well, Nancy Cartwright's on the commentary, and she says she has a script from October 91. By the time this aired in August 92, the Soviet Union was no more. It officially dissolved December 26, 1991. And they wrote a scene where Bart, when he's going to do the Living Room Olympics, he dedicates it to Mother Russia. They decide they got to change that. They instead change it to Stained Master Carpets instead. <laughs> Which is not a bad choice. And he still does a stereotypical kid Russian voice, too. <laughs> and this is also really good observational behavior of a kid who as a kid you play around on furniture thinking all furniture is indestructible yeah and then when it breaks you have to pretend to your parents that you didn't do it you just go like it just fell apart like that <laughs> lamp but i guess it fell over mom i, I don't know <laughs> but that's such a sweet sibling moment where they're like totally in sync about the lie like you're like that is actually a very nice sibling relationship Lisa knows to fake crying, and then Bart puts his arm around her to comfort her. Yeah. And I love the look he gives Homer of just like, are you buying this? <laughs> I know I've become old because I went to a pizza place. There's a couch in there you can sit on, and I was eating my pizza, and a bunch of teens came in. I think they were on lunch from school, and they just all, like, butt-stomped on the couch together, and I thought, that is not good for that furniture. <laughs> young, young man, sir. You sit like proper gentlemen and ladies, please. But Homer's just upset that the couch is destroyed at prime time when TV's brightest stars come out to shine. That's uh, a great Homerism. He's bought into the commercials. I mean, the newest star is Martin. That's right. <laughs> they should have re-recorded it to say, but I was just about to watch Martin debuting tonight. It's going to be so funny. <laughs> it's driving me crazy because I couldn't find it online. Nobody's uploaded it. Folks, follow Daily Simpsons on Twitch, the Simpsons History Twitter account, because sporadically on Twitch, the person who runs it will play an old episode as recorded off TV in its first airing with all the original commercials, but they don't get archived because which wouldn't allow it it's full of copyrighted material you gotta be there when it airs and when daily simpsons has played them ones from this season four there is like a handoff segment that's original stuff of like martin or other cast members of martin after the simpsons is over they go like that bart he's so funny well you know on martin tonight he's got his own problems it's basically them selling the next episode of mm. martin to simpsons viewers i love that i love stuff like that uh, but sadly it's also like lost to time i should have looked this up but i would figure they'd be online and easy to see if they were that type of thing should be on the martin dvds of like yeah hey, this is original martin content or on max where martin currently lives uh I guess it's HBO Max right now when I'm saying this, but we should well, just train ourselves to say Max. When it, when it becomes Max, no one will know what you're talking about if you call it HBO Max. <laughs> It'll just confuse everybody. What was that? 
that, that sounds like a channel that is too full of prestige. Yuck. Like I need something for everyone. No one was like HBO Max. I I don't want that. <laughs> too expensive for me. Yeah. I didn't care for the HBO part of the equation. <laughs> frankly <laughs> who wants hbo so then homer has a series of memories about how he spent his 80s watching tv from the couch his first memory is from november 21st 1980 as he is watching the part two well actually it's not part two but it is the resolution of who shot jr complicatedly who shot jr was the season finale of season three of dallas but when they came back from season four they actually kill time with three episodes and it's episode four in the November sweeps when they finally reveal who shot JR. It got 90 million viewers. Mm. It set a record for a non-sports, non-politics thing, like actual like scripted television. It set the record until MASH's finale three years later. And the woman Homer is hearing say that she shot JR. That must be Kristen Shepard, played by Mary Crosby, who <laughs> was revealed to be the one to have shot JR. But all right, let's talk about the big thing here, though. Hands Across America. Yep. yep. As a kid, never heard of Hands Across America. I heard of the big hit songs like usa for africa i heard that but i never heard of hands across america as a kid this was when i learned about it as a me kid. too yeah. when it happened i was four and i chose not to participate so i had my reasons <laughs> yeah i think also being from florida did it extend down there <laughs> it did not that i also looked that right, up too right. like so it sort of zigzagged across america so it could go from new york to los angeles uh, and get as many people so basically it was a charity event to stand in the hand chain, you paid $10 minimum to the charity. <laughs> and it was a sequel to USA for Africa. Like, it's run by the same people. And so it starts in New York, and it basically crosses America. And as the hmm. joke in the episode says, there were kind of breaks in it across America that were represented with, like, ribbons or chains or other stuff to connect it. Uh, I'm reading for the first time here that uh, Youngstown, Ohio, the town I'm from, was a major Hands Across America hotspot. And Michael Jackson was there? Michael Jackson? Yes. Yeah, I well, I was the four-year-old little boy. I'm glad I was nowhere on the scene. Okay. <laughs> You could have met Michael. T I, I had blonde hair, Henry. Oh, God. <laughs> he would have been his favorite that My day. My parents knew better. He's from Gary, Indiana, right? I, mean, I that's, think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's shocking. I guess there were enough people in Youngstown to hold hands with each other at that point. <laughs> it, it did not come down to Florida. The closest, though, I as a kid was living in Arkansas at the time. I'd moved to Florida when I turned 12, actually during this season of The Simpsons when I turned 10. But I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it says the biggest celebrity there was like Governor Bill Clinton, which is like, yeah, hey, it was a fucking governor. Whoop-de-doo. Like, that's not <laughs> a real celebrity. They should have sent a celeb to Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. That's, that's wrong. It happened on May 25th, 1986, and apparently went through Springfield somehow. And then the New York Times in an article later said that uh, after costs that it uh, made $15 million for charities that uh, mainly assisted the unhoused. So, hey, that's nice. Yeah. And they even had a song, which I have a little clip of the song. And then I have a thing that's hidden on the DVD, a deleted bit of the actors on The Simpsons singing the song uh, from the scene. <laughs>
that harmonize? No. Yeah, that was all right. That first sounded pretty good. Yeah, a couple of times. Let's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> we know where Yardley Smith stands. She said black. <laughs> That's great. That's when they were all recording together. It's great. That's uh, so sweet. Yeah. I believe that was Kogan directing it, or at least... It sounded like Jay Kogan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but... It's so, it's so funny hearing them try to harmonize. Like I like Dan saying, like couple times, couple times. <laughs> and that's deleted from the episode, but you can find it on the DVD. And of course, it's been a while. I'd forgotten this that if you didn't see this episode, you probably learned about Hands Across America from watching Jordan Peele's Us. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was a major plot point there as well. You would have had to miss this episode for like twenty-seven years, though. Yeah, <laughs> you tried pretty hard to miss this one. Then uh, you know some people did. But when the Us movie came out, it felt like there was this divide on Twitter of people. I was definitely seeing some people on social media saying, wait, this was a real thing, <laughs> looking up Hands Across America. And then the reaction from dorks like me going like, um, somebody's never seen The Simpsons before <laughs> if they don't know about this. Also, note in that scene of the Hands Across America Helen Lovejoy is given pink hair. It's very distracting. Oh. So it's like the woman holding Marge's hand. At first, I didn't read it as Helen Lovejoy, but then you can see leaning into frame during the song. You can tell it's Reverend Lovejoy. So I was like, oh, that. so that is Helen Lovejoy. They just did her hair entirely. It was a Cindy Lauper era of haircuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what I also love about this is that it does set the Simpsons heavily in, okay, Lisa was a little girl in 1986, which obviously the show can't do that now but it's funny funny to think that homer's also watching the berlin wall fall on november 9th 1989 but he'd rather watch a gomer pile rerun this could be the first gomer pile reference on the simpsons oh no i just remembered the other one (laughs) Uh todd wanted to watch that he was watching that on tv when ned was trying to figure out why he swears that's right we still haven't seen him though yes yeah, we've yet to see <laughs> We're waiting for it, folks. They also give Tom Brokaw many L's to say. Live and lively liberation lovers, I believe, is the word. We then see Homer cry and say that it's going to go back to where he found the couch, the curb in front of Flanders' house, which I love that. Great <laughs> so then we cut back to Herb. He's trying to think of an idea. This kind of is a reset of Herb. It's not to say he couldn't be an inventor, but it's like, well, but wait, you're a car executive. Like, you, you may have been a good car executive. It's like, did he invent cars? Was he like a car inventor? <laughs> he just invented car names. Yeah. Yes. Basically. Every businessman is also a technical genius. That is what the world has taught us. Un- they inva- can all like, invent infallible. things. Yeah. <laughs> Every idea they have is great. If they're good at selling cars, they can build tunnels. Yeah. They can own social media websites. They can sell flamethrowers they can do everything yeah if, if you wrote in c++ in 1998 you can pretty much figure out how rockets work without doing any work <laughs> you're gonna get to mars tomorrow <laughs> it's gonna happen and in this case herb is also sure like i'm a great inventor i can think of something so on my first viewing until they literally say it out loud i could never figure out what he was making like i was like wait what what is this like it makes sense but it was a shock to me in first viewing of like oh a baby translator but you can see it here when he freaks out the lady and sees her frustrated at it not knowing what her kid wants and i tried to look up if there are real baby translators now and all i found google is unfortunately unhelpful in this because it just goes like 
there are 80 apps called Baby Translator, and I don't know if they do anything or well, don't do anything. Well, they just steal your credit card information is what they do. <laughs> Some of them were like, oh, we can tell when your babies cry what it means. It's like, sure, sure you can. Also, this is like a society-changing device. If your newborn is sentient and can speak through an intermediary, that is really a societal difference. Yeah, actually, it is a huge change to the world. <laughs> And you never see it again never. in the universe ever. Yeah, every baby should be voiced by Danny DeVito in this show, right? <laughs> <laughs> I also love the mother's reaction of like, please don't hurt me. He just goes, consider it done. Like, he was thinking of hurting her, maybe. But he's like, hey, you well, know what? The way it's phrased where he goes, you just gave me the idea of a lifetime. Which, <laughs> what is she thinking that is? Right, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, for a second in this episode on first viewing as a child, I thought because the music is ominous later that his plan was to kidnap Maggie. Like that was his plan. <laughs> Watching it again, it bumped me almost like it gets ominous. And I was like, what is going to happen? Because I remember it not like being anything bad, but in my head I was like, did he do something I forgot about? It is a really ominous sting. I think they even laugh at it on the commentary. Like, why is this ominous music here? <laughs> was it's... it an intentional misdirect? I think so. Maybe. Did Alf Clausen go into business for himself and just decide? <laughs> so this is when we then cut back to Homer. And this also just feels like such slapdash sitcom writing just to get to the next joke. The idea of Homer has to get money. Mm -hmm. So we just have to hand Homer money so he can have it for the herb plot. And so, uh, yeah, and not not to get too inside baseball, but this next joke feels like a David Merkin joke. It's a joke at the expense of just the structure mm -hmm. of the show and sitcoms in general, where it's like Smithers missed his cue. <laughs> Homer yep. knows that he has to get in trouble in order for the plot to continue or has to be called into Burns' office in order for the plot to continue. But the cue is a little off and they're kind of looking around and wondering, when will this happen? <laughs> It's so great. Homer just has to restate it. He's like, yeah, I don't think my life can possibly get any worse. <laughs> Finally, he's called into the office for his next scene. And as he enters the room, I love how Burns calls him a big virile son of a gun. This is where the titular two dimes come in, right? Yes. Is this also because they are degenerate gamblers on the Simpson staff and they're calling $2,000 two dimes? Oh, uh, like I guess put a dime on it or whatever. Would that be a 10? Would that be a hundred? Would that be a thousand? It's a, a thousand is yeah. a dime. Okay. I believe. Yes, Interesting. Right. Okay. Actually, that's in the Mary Tyler. Uh, see, Mike, I guess in your writer's room, you guys aren't gambling on football all the time, like in the classic Simpsons. <laughs> no, room. no, we're not. Not at all. We're usually just like watching TV and then making fun of people who aren't in the room. <laughs> that's not but true. But who's your that's book? That's not true. Well, the, what do you do with your bookie then? Like the bookie you must all have. <laughs> I feel like the two things that aren't in, that I have not experienced that used to be much bigger are hardcore sports betting and cocaine. Like both I have not found <laughs> in large supply at all. But you know what? Generations change, man. You know, that cocaine mention, that reminded me of something else I wanted to say, and I shared it with you, Bob, beforehand. <laughs> there was this. In 2011, Danny DeVito interviewed mm. James L. Brooks at the SF Sketch Fest, which is a great comedy festival in San Francisco that we've all been a part of, and they're great. I love that every year. 2011, they did a showing of broadcast news that also had a 90-minute Q&A beforehand with Brooks and DeVito. And I couldn't see it. I chose not to get tickets because broadcast news is a fine movie, but it's not like my favorite or anything. I wish I'd have gone because this reporter's write-up of the event 
Sounds like Danny DeVito was having a really good time and telling a lot of stories that were embarrassing James L. Brooks. And one of their main ones was just that DeVito kept saying, everybody was doing cocaine back then <laughs> when he was working on movies. But he keeps saying like, yeah, it was really snowing on that set or we were all hitting the slopes. And James L. Brooks just apparently had his face in his hands and was going like, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so funny to read how much openly like DeVito, like what's DeVito care? He's mm -hmm. like, yeah, we were just getting all fucked up yeah. back then. <laughs> to see James L. Brooks, Oscar winner, trying to keep some level of composure as DeVito's <laughs> telling all these stories. I wish I'd have been there, but the reporting on it is very fun. It sounded fun. There's a couple not nice stories told about Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger in there as well. Though he was clear to say like, hey, the movie Terms of Endearment wouldn't exist without those two women in it, but sounded like it was a tough set. But anyways, so Homer enters the room. This is when he finds out he's going to be given an award. And again, it's Harry Shearer. He's the MVP of this episode mm -hmm. now, yeah. in this scene here. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm not signing anything until I read it or somebody gives me the gist of it. Mm. All right, well, it just explains that you've won, yes, that's it, uh, won the first annual uh, Montgomery Burns uh, uh, Award for uh, outstanding achievement in the, the, the field of uh, excellence. Don't I get some kind of trophy <laughs> at a big award ceremony? Benita DeWolf and the Springfield Nuclear Plant Soft Shoe Society. This award is the biggest farce I ever saw. What about the Emmys? I stand corrected. <laughs> there you go. Take that, Emmys. The, sure. the director on this one was Rich Moore, correct? Yes. He talked about hearing that great Harry Shearer line delivery of him improvising the title of the award of course the lines were written but it sounds like the character's improvising uh, he said he spent an entire day laying out like every pose for burns for that scene just to get it perfect and it it's great he's perfect a right. lot of finger twiddling <laughs> uh one yes the montgomery like the way he trails off you can see in his body language he's like searching for a word and then goes like ah i found it like god so good Speaking of award winners, it's Oscar winner Rich Moore now after the show. Mm -hmm. He's got more Oscars than Al Jean, but not more wow. than James L. Brooks. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the scale we're using. <laughs> You've got Al Jean at zero and James L. Brooks at five, I want to say. <laughs> I would assume he got definitely two for director and two and then best picture as well. And I feel like there's a fifth in there somewhere. How do you know got a special award <laughs> yeah, right. for best title? <laughs> it's an easy to remember title. We all remember it. I never remember that title like that. <laughs> I only remember it because it's so unmemorable. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> you know, I feel like that might be his last movie. I don't think he's going to come back to direct another one. I'm guessing it probably is. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, yeah, the dance number also is great. I guess, Mike, how I don't see as many dance numbers these days. Definitely at the Oscars this year, there was a really great dance number from the RRR guys. Yeah, but, uh, they, they don't usually have them as much. Or if they do them, it's usually like, here's the dancers from some a reality show about dancers. And they'll do like a cool routine, but it's not the old timey like vaudeville show girly type thing doesn't really happen as much anymore. At least not the award shows I'm allowed into. 
But they still do yeah, like performances I, and like songs and dances that are kind of corny sometimes. It feels like this is a throwback because I feel like award shows have not looked like the Family Guy opening for a very long time. Yes. Yeah, what happens? We need to see a bunch of people in gold with big top hats. Jokes <laughs> like this in the Family Guy opening ruined it. You don't do chorus line openings anymore. And all you see today is sex and violence on TV, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. We need to get back those good old-fashioned values. I'm not uh, doing any more of this. <laughs> I used to rely on you, Bob, to remember <laughs> these lines. Okay. But yes, yeah, the calling the Emmys a farce again. They lost three weeks before. This is why they're mad about it. Yeah. And they wouldn't win another one for a few more seasons until Lisa's wedding. So that's when they win again. I think they get beat. It's by other kid shows, really. I, I don't think they submitted in seasons four and five. They were not even nominated in seasons four and five. So I don't know if they submitted anything. Oh, man. Do you think they withdrew the their submission in rage after this. it could be could be <laughs> okay so i want to say one thing i love these subtle jokes in the show where they make fun of bad speeches and bad essay writing and things like that just very nerdy jokes about writing yes and i love joe frazier's speech because he opens with a bad opener but it follows up with nothing <laughs> you think it's going to be a pivot to a larger explanation of what excellence means in terms of who homer is but no he just gives the dictionary definition and then says and the winner is <laughs> homer simpson <laughs> It's such a great uh, gag. I always love middle school opening type stuff like that or since the beginning of time mankind has. Like any any sort of construction like that is always so fun. In your writing on award shows, Mike, have you been involved in any of that patter beforehand? I think I had to do patter once and this was maybe like one of my first gigs. Usually you don't do patter. Usually patter is like a whole different team that does it. I think I had to do it for an early gig where I was sort of on that team. It's rough. One, you have the celebrities who themselves are very, very careful about what they're willing to say and what they want to say. And, you know, you find out before an award show, this person doesn't want to present with this person. They want to present with this person. So you start having to move people around and those people have different comforts. And also a lot of these people aren't, you know, it's not like a role. They're not like spending a day memorizing it. They're like, see it once and they see it again. And they're kind of like, you know, special effects make films and they, you know, like it's hard for them too. It's a lose-lose proposition. Whenever I write on an, on an award show and people ask about things, I'm always like, the shorter we can make this, the better. Nobody wants this <laughs> thing to be longer. Nobody has ever wanted that. At what point is Bruce Valanche helicoptered in? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once old people think we're failing, they'll hire the old people they trust. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I heard... Is stealing a story from a previous guest, but I heard him tell uh, Tim Kalpakis, who also wrote for some award shows. He's a great comedy writer. He talked about how he was assigned to do patter for Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart on stage. He was thinking like, okay, got to do something real challenging here. He's, you know, given that combo he's like gotta do something new with this and he then said that like some person on one person's team came to him and said hey you know what would be really funny is if he suggested to her that he has a special brownie recipe and then Tim was like, I think, forced to write that as the joke. Yeah. And he's like, I guess I got to do it. And, <laughs> and also, it killed. Yeah, Everybody yeah. laughed real hard at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the thing that he does. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly. Yeah. And that does happen, too, is you'll write the line and then they'll be like, can I rewrite this? And you're like, yeah, sure. And like, you know, there's still people who approve it. They're not going to put a racial slur into the prompter. But like, <laughs> you know, like usually it'll, it'll be some, you know, maybe something that is kind of plain or like is very carefully worded to protect themselves in some way or what have you. And you're kind of like, okay, great. You say that. 
Patter's really about making the celebrities comfortable, as it should be, because Patter is just a mechanism to get to the thing people want. The shows would be faster if they just showed up and said, the nominees are, <laughs> just write them off. But yeah. by the way, that most recent Oscars, the one Patter that I really, I do not blame the people who had to say it, but it was so crazy that they had come out the two stars of the upcoming Little Mermaid live action movie and they start doing patter like they're presenting an award but they're showing the trailer for their movie that was crazy yeah, <sighs> yeah. It, it that was like a moment where it's like oh this is the game awards now <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, no. there have been ads and baked in content like that have always been in Oscars. Sure. I'm not yeah. saying, oh, the Oscars used to be so prestigious. They'd never do that. Like, no, of course not. Tons of people have presented awards because they have a new movie coming out. But it did feel like a next step was taken <laughs> to be like, you know what? This isn't even an award. I'm not even just going to joke about my upcoming movie. I'm going to make you watch this trailer right now. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah. But anyway, well, this is Joe Frazier here, smoking Joe Frazier, one of the greatest boxers of all time. In his era, unfortunately, overshadowed by Muhammad Ali. He should be the pride of Philadelphia, but they prefer a fictional white man to one of the greatest boxers of all time who happens to be a black man. Hey, and he's also a two-time Simpsons guest. He came back in 2011 Uh with the season 17 episode Homer's Paternity Coot. And I like his little reading glasses. I think in the early 90s, we were getting into the joke of celebrities putting on little glasses to read at award shows. That's true, yeah. Webster's Dictionary defines excellence as the quality or condition of being excellent. And now the winner of the first annual Montgomery Burns Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Excellence. Dad, you know you won. Don't jinx it. The winner... Homer Simpson. Oh my God. Him reading the dictionary definition of excellence is funny because he was directed by George Meyer, who is a big time boxing fan. And so he's directing Frazier, who, as you can hear in the clips, he has a small speech issue. He's been hit in the head several hundred times, thousand yes. times. I doubt I would speak very well if I had been punched once by George <laughs> Foreman in my life. But yes, he's having trouble saying the word excellence excellence instead of excellent apparently it took him 20 tries to say it and then after he did it george meyer said that was excellent and then joe frazier did did not laugh he seemingly did not get the joke mm. there oh you mentioned george foreman according to nancy cartwright's original script this was going to be george foreman but he might have turned it down hmm. you know joe frazier's funnier to me anyway you know george foreman you see him in everything yeah i kind of agree but yes, this is Homer finds out he's worried he's not going to get the award. And he gets it. They even know to play his theme music of the show. And then Homer falls off the balcony, which that's why he's so far away from the stage yeah, for the yeah. balcony falling. It's easy to miss, but there is some good mock surprise from Mr. Burns when Homer's name is announced. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. Burns is the best in this episode. Also, uh, Emmy note here, they save themselves the trouble. The Internet Archive is one of my new favorite things to do when prepping this because there actually are a few scripts for old episodes like this on there there wasn't for this episode but there was the character model pack for this episode oh wow and the most interesting thing is that they just reused their character models from 
the 1990 Emmys for their outfits. So that's hmm. why the Simpsons are dressed at at the award show. It's the same stuff they are wearing <laughs> when they present an Emmy award at the 1990 Emmys. Okay, I thought it looked familiar because they've never been more dressed up on <laughs> yes. the show. I know. I Elisa's little headband, I think, is my favorite <laughs> of the outfits. And, you know, Mike, as an award show attendee, like, yes. do you just go with a simple tux? What do you dress up in? Uh, yeah, just simple tux. I own, like, a J. Crew tux because I'm pretty fancy. No, I either squeeze into it or it, like, hangs off me like an, I'm a kindergarten art teacher, depending on where my body is at the moment. Uh, Henry phrased the question as, what do you dress up in? <laughs> dress up. And I think you want to say, uh, who are you wearing, Mike? Who are you oh, wearing? Yeah, I should have said that. Uh, but, yeah, I just wear a usual a, a tuxedo. I don't. Where I usually wear one with like a little narrow black tie rather than a bow tie because I feel like you would expect me to wear a bow tie. <laughs> any any like sort of aesthetic thing that you'd expect me to do, I just want to not do because there's like I just don't want to do a bow tie. Uh, so I, yeah, a little like thin tie, kind of not fancy, um, but yeah, wear a tuxedo to these things. It's fun. I mean, it eventually gets hot because you're wearing like a coat and layers, and you're in Los Angeles, but. It's kind of nice. It's nice to dress up every so often. I like Bart's blazer with a turtleneck. I like his look in it. It's a good one. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, it's funny you mentioned Los Angeles because seeing Homer seated at the bar with his Emmy, <laughs> I think that's probably a lot of people. You, I mean, you see photos from like award show after parties and people have, you know, the drink in one hand and the award right next to him. I was in downtown Los Angeles for a video game event around when I think the technical Emmys happened because, you know, I'm just walking around to, you know, meet with friends at a restaurant and then I'm walking by tons of people really dressed up, holding Emmy Awards. I was like, wow, I have never seen an Emmy Award like in person. People are just like seated at an open air bar with their Emmy Awards right there. Yeah. But yeah, Homer is feeling a real sadness after his award. He's, he's feeling empty instead of, which it is a fake award. So he probably should feel empty. A fake award given just to avoid a lawsuit. I didn't even remark on it. Homer says he'll either read it or someone has to give him the gist of it, meaning lie to him. To say, <laughs> just make up what the award is for. Yes, Homer is feeling kind of empty and Smoking Joe tries to comfort him. This is when Homer's not even listening. Like he thinks his couch is more important than the undisputed boxing heavyweight championship. <laughs> There's like three of those. <laughs> three of those. Yeah. It's funny because Homer says that I believe it was three belts that made it the undisputed. He had to win all three to be the undisputed. And it breaks the lineage when somebody in 92, I believe it is Riddick Bowe who breaks that lineage. He like drops one of the titles like in a garbage can theatrically at some press event to be like, I'm not defending this one. So the undisputed championship actually is over the year this episode aired. It's now disputed. Lennox Lewis reunited them in the year 2000. And then when he retired, there has not been an undisputed men's heavyweight boxing champion since then wow though i mean nobody cares the only thing people care about boxing now is when one of the paul brothers does oh, it. oh yeah how's jake paul doing you know he lost a fight to somebody oh the ticket sales have been down now that people have seen him lose a fight people don't give a shit anymore i want to see ron paul in a fight <laughs> i would have liked to see that did it rand paul he was the one who got in the fight though <laughs> yeah, yeah he did get into a fight <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a neighbor well didn't finish the job that's all i'm saying <laughs> um, i'm not saying if it's a good or bad thing just didn't happen this is just a statement of fact yeah well speaking of fights and sequel jokes in this episode originally in the script it was that barney like how he knocks out wade boggs in the softball episode 
he was going to knock out Joe Frazier. He was going to challenge Frazier to a fight and he would win it. One of Joe Frazier's sons, who was uh, working with him on the episode, was very upfront that says, my dad is not losing a fight to Barney on the show. And there's also something very funny about, like, you know what's going to happen, and then it yes. just happens. <laughs> I think it's funnier just like he goes, let's go outside, like, all right, and then he's instantly horribly yeah. beaten. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great visual gag where the door swings out, and when it swings back, there's blood on it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think they got their revenge later because in season five, Otto knocks out Jerry Cooney with one punch at the casino. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's an even funnier joke. And, like, Jerry Cooney does not have the respectability to say, hey, you can't knock me out. Like, he's not a champion. He's Tim Kane who got beat up by Mike Tyson, like, once or something. <laughs> but, hey, Barney's not even sad about it because he found a peanut at the bottom of that garbage can. <laughs> Homer is feeling alone and couchless. Though first, we cut to Herb. He realizes the fact that all people learn. It doesn't matter if you've got a great idea. You need a rich family member <laughs> to give you money to let it happen. As we also learn, sometimes it needs to be an emerald mine. You know, sometimes it's a $2,000 award for Mr. Burns. Either way, a brilliant idea won't get you anywhere if you don't have the money to make it happen. Sometimes your dad writes for a TV show and then you get to. <laughs> yes. yeah. That's been known to happen. A lot of folks. Yeah. A lot of folks. Sometimes. Yeah. A lot of folks. A lot of folks. By the way, for everyone listening, my dad does not write for television. <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> I was calling Mike out. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> I just want to be clear. We all know about the famous Drucker writer room yeah. on the Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. The Cheers creator Steve Drucker. Steve Drucker. <laughs> Sound Steve familiar? Drucker's my dad. People, in, since I do comedy, people are like, oh, are you related to like Mort Drucker, the old Mad Magazine artist? No, no good, no good Druckers. <laughs> That's the one famous Drucker I can think of, other than you, of course. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like they could have had a funnier headline. It's just what Herb says out loud, like, local man wins $2,000. Like, Simpsons famous for their great headline gags. Late, this yeah. this feels like tired writers. Late in the season. <laughs> just a statement of fact headline, local man wins two. I mean, I suppose it counts as a joke that why would that be a headline in the newspaper mm. <laughs> that he won $2,000? So Herb decides he needs to go to Springfield a fun bunch of visual gags of him trying to hop on cars which ends up on a pillow car they cut a line where he was trying to ask which state springfield was in and then a train whistle silences it but they would reuse that in the larry burns rodney dangerfield episode hmm. in uh, season seven homer meanwhile is feeling couchless and this is when he sees an amazing vibrating chair <laughs> like yeah, and, and Graining says that he bought a chair just like this around the time this episode aired. This truly was the era of vibrating chairs. Yeah. We had one of these. It wasn't top of the line, but it was a recliner that had a vibration function. And I was young and my body didn't hurt yet, so I didn't really understand it. <laughs> yeah. like, I know. I just feel weird when I'm sitting in this. Why would you make it vibrate? But now I get it. God. Sorry, Mike. Did you have any vibrating chair stories? No, but I just like whenever I'd go to like the sharper image as a kid, you'd mm -hmm. like sit in those vibrating chairs. Like it always seemed like it was this future that you would never attain with your family. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a nice chair. I have a good recliner that I barely use, but it was a gift from my parents. But I mean, it was it's like a $600 recliner. This, oh. this one is $2,000 in 1992 money, which according to an online inflation calculator, is $4,300 in today money. Mm. 
This time I took it as what counts as a joke, as a good joke as it's a spine melter 2000. And then right below it, it says only $1,999. So it's the 2000 and it's (laughs) $1,999. In Akira at this point in time, he wasn't recurring that much, but he was the clerk at any kind of trendy establishment like the sushi chef he was the karate instructor and now he is the chair salesman at that their sharper image store still voiced by hank azaria and of course it's for sulu joe yes <laughs> which is like, homer is giving mr sulu a command you give mr scott right yeah that, that does seem more like yeah <laughs> i mean you could tell sulu to do this too but you do you just say like well you should be asking scotty in the engine room why couldn't this? willie be working at this place <laughs> <laughs> And it's also funny that this is so stacked up. It's like instantly a Star Trek joke straight into a long 2001 parody, yeah. which is very well animated. Though as a kid, I didn't get this. I didn't see 2001 until they did so many jokes of it in Deep Space Homer that that's when I finally asked my parents to rent it. So I could finally watch it because I was like, I have to know what these jokes are about. I only saw it for the first time like five years ago in 4K. Oh, yeah. Wow. I, as a kid, I saw it really young. My parents showed us a lot of media, but it wasn't because they were like, we're going to make these kids smart. It was like, listen, if we're putting on a movie, they're going to watch it. Like they'd fast forward through like anything with like boobs in it. But since I was three or four, I'd see movies where people were like blown apart. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because they liked like they were like, it's more fun to watch as a family. So I remember seeing 2001 really early. So when I saw this episode as a kid, I remember being like, I understand. Like, it was almost like this moment. And to me, that was like such like a deep cut movie because it was so long ago. And who knows who Stanley Kubrick is? Because I was fucking eight years old. And so when you see that, you're like, whoa. (laughs) I just remember being so impressed by that moment as a kid. And he's been dead for so long now. It's crazy to think that Kubrick very well could have seen these things on The Simpsons. (laughs) I mean, and he was living in the UK at the time, I believe. So he'd have, you know, the UK loves The Simpsons. I think he was just a big fan of TV in general. That's true. I think he shot movies full frame because he knew they'd just be on television. So he shot them with that in mind. If it comes to your town, like it's come to San Francisco several times, if you can see 2001 and 70 millimeter, that's oh, the way to see it. Yeah, man. that's how I saw it. Not 4K, 70 millimeter. And I was not high. Thank you very much. <laughs> I only had a few beers. And Richmore's team does amazing animation in this, like above and beyond. You can see why a year later they hire Rich Moore to be the series director on The Critic because just this is pitch perfect parody of a film here. Homer is loving this, but Marge, as Marge often does, especially in John Swartzwelder's scripts, (laughs) she is here to let us know that there's no fun to be had. I'll take it. This chair is $2,000. We could buy a whole living room set for that. Marge, there's an empty spot I've always had inside me. I tried to fill it with family, religion, community service, but those were dead ends. I think this chair is the answer. This money was a blessing. We can't just spend it on some creature comfort. All right, we won't get the chair. Now excuse me while I kiss the sky. Homer's doing an ahegal there. <laughs> now, Henry, uh, the eyes have to cross. No, the tongue okay. has to be fully extended, and he has to be actively orgasming. And I see maybe one of those things he's hitting. <laughs> this is a primordial ahegal. Look, he's drooling. The tongue's close there. You can see the tongue. I don't know. We need, we need some analysts to jump in and, and check this out. 
it's, you're right. It's not an official I hang out without crossed eyes at the very least. You're right. Thank but, you. <laughs> I want this to cleave like a division between you two. Like this could be the wedge. <laughs> but Homer is mentioning Hendrix's purple haze here. I often have Homer thoughts of, I feel so empty in my life. Maybe this expensive creature comfort's finally going to be the answer to yeah. that happiness. <laughs> but for Homer, it actually is the answer to that happiness. Bad lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, again, clearly as a nine to 10 year old, the joke are lost on me. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, Homer's right. Yeah, this will <laughs> make you happy. Herb has found his way to Evergreen Terrace. He looks at two different houses. One is the Simpson house looking worse than it ever has on the front. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to try the other house next door. And it's so great. The meaning of him and Ned is mm-hmm. so great. I got the whole clip here. Yes? Oh, uh, sorry. I I must have the wrong house. Oh, that's where you're wrong, friend. Aren't we in luck? Today's our tithe day, and we've got ourselves a transient. Come in, my friend. Let us feed and bathe you. Hey, wait a minute. Dad, can I anoint the sores on his feet? I think it's Mom's turn, son. Oh, no fair. Thanks for the suit. Well, if you ever want to spend the night, Maude and I can sleep on card tables. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. <laughs> singing again, lousy neighbors. Wish I was deaf. <laughs> what am I going to say? This is the guy who ruined me. But on the other hand, he's family. So many conflicting emotions. How to express them. Herb? <laughs> Man, Homer should punch him back. I'm just really mad at Herb for how he treats Homer in this one. There is a real boomer-ass reference buried in this scene, though, because when Herb pushes the doorbell and it plays a song, that song is A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is also the theme of Davy and Goliath. Oh, Oh. wow. I missed that. Wow, that's a good pull, man. That's so funny. It's funny also thinking back like how controversial The Simpsons was those first few seasons where people were like, you know, this is anti-family and anti-Christian. And you look at them now and you're like, this is such a nice portrayal of a Christian family. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I remember back then, like the in my neighborhood, like the very Christian families were the ones who were like, they're not allowed to watch this. They are absolutely not allowed they make fun of religion. It's great that Ned started as the yuppie next door neighbor. And now by the end of season three, he is the perfect, like saintly Christian. Like, no, in the real world, Christians do not do this. Right. But in, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is this when they made him incredibly pious? This episode in particular, it feels like they really leveled up his religiousness. <laughs> Definitely the feeling that he doesn't like swearing. He is more religious in that episode, but this is the next level. Like anointing the sores on his feet is a competition. Yeah. That's a new level to it for sure. Yeah. That's the joke that nobody can be this perfect, but Ned is. <laughs> it's a great scene, but it's also killing time. I feel like they don't have a lot of story to tell once Herb gets there, which is why he shows up more than 12 minutes into the 22-minute episode with credits. <laughs> it's deep into act two. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but after saying bye to Ned, he heads over to the Simpsons house, punches Homer, goes inside, and also Herb is back to his first appearance design. I think that's so he's not in lower status around the family like if he was in his homeless man design then they'd like feel too much pity for him so he has to get reset visually back to the nice suit guy instead homer 
is on the ground. Herb steps over his body. <laughs> and then Marge, they're asking him how he is. And I love him listing all his things. And then Marge goes like, eh, I can't complain. Like, <laughs> he wasn't living out of a trash co waste disposal unit. He was living in a dumpster. He, you know, he's or eating doing, out of dumpsters. He was doing better than Otto. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> also a sequel scene to the Herb episode because Herb gave them a tour of his mansion when they first arrived at his house. Now he's arriving at their house and Homer is giving a much more reserved tour of his home, including the light switches, which more mentions on the commentary. Like, how exactly do you animate lights going on and off in the daytime in uh, <laughs> in a cartoon? Every year since, it gets even funnier. Happy New Year, 1985. <laughs> the older it gets, the better. There, I mean, we moved into a new house around this time, a year before, actually. And there were a few mystery switches where I wasn't sure what they did and my parents didn't know either. And I always assumed that on our roof, there was a sign like this. <laughs> we, yeah, right after this episode aired, when we moved into our new home in Florida, moving from the Atlanta area to Florida, Jacksonville area, there was a button in the house Ooh, a button. There was a button in the bathroom, and we pressed <laughs> that button, and we instantly regretted it because a alarm went off, and like I can't remember if it was the cops or a security company, and they're like, "This is like a home security alarm that people who sold the house didn't tell us about." Oh, I thought and, it was a hilarious toilet alarm. <laughs> no, it was That's so crazy. Yeah, it's in the bathroom too, right? Yeah, I guess they imagined that. So the bad guys break into your house, you run and lock yourself in the bathroom, and then you press that button. So instead it became, I was 10, my brother was seven, and our parents had to tell us like in no uncertain terms, like never press this button. Like never, ever. You will be in big trouble if you press that button. Wow. Wow. The, the temptation. It's like that Ren and Stimpy episode. <laughs> Every time friends came over, I had to tell them like, guys, do not press that button. And, but it was the danger, too, of, like, if you have some trouble making no good Nick friends and you tell them, like, no, that might look like a fun button don't or it might do nothing. Right. Seriously, don't press it. Then it makes them even more wanting to press it to, yeah. uh, to mess with your family. <laughs> but, was that button ever disabled? You know, I think it never was a problem ever again. I don't remember it ever being pressed. I feel like when I was about to move out one day, I think I did press it and it did nothing. Hmm. So, but, yeah, it just... For the longest time, it was just the terrifying bathroom button was what it was. I wonder if it was like they had like a year subscription and that just like phased out. I should ask the new owners of that place. I can. I should look up the address. Docs who's ever at it. And yeah. <laughs> well, of course, I'm going to put it on Twitter to be like, these people will reply to my phone calls. Like, so tell people at this address, <laughs> my old childhood address. God. There's some real ADR voice stuff here. Marge saying the recipe. I think this line is great, though. I bet the old line wasn't as funny. But Marge saying, I got the recipe from the Utility Grade Beef Council. I just love Marge getting recipes from any council. <laughs> uh, utility Grade yeah. Beef. Which is right above dog food, I believe <laughs> it is. I'm not a regular beef eater. I don't know the gradings of it until looking it up. But like, basically, if you have Utility Grade Beef, it is often from older cows, apparently. And is usually turned into, you know, cheap ground beef or put into hot dogs so that Marge is like cooking like steak or whatever with utility grade beef. That is very cheap meat that yeah. Marge is getting. Bart asks for some advice. I think of this every time I see an old pizza box. Don't you guys? Absolutely. <laughs> I yeah. Do. I don't check it, but I do get hungry for cheese <laughs> when I see those pizza boxes. <laughs> with a little cardboard on top from tearing it off on the thing. Do they get that as much anymore ever since they invented the little table you put in a pizza box? Uh, yeah. The... I think around this time the pizza table was a new invention. Yeah. 
a fairly new invention. That. Yeah, yeah. Is it harder to get old cheese out of an old pizza box now? It was invented to stop the noid, ultimately. <laughs> Then Herb also, again, I get mad at Herb with these lines. Lisa is right to ask why he didn't write them. I feel like the show is so young, the show also feels the need like, oh, we need to cover why he was never in contact when they wouldn't care after this point. But yeah. I feel there's a necessity for them to explain this. I mean that he guilts her like, oh, what was I going to sell you? Last night I used a rat for a pillow. Thanks to your pop. Which I was like, again, you did this, Herb. Like, F you. <laughs> and he's making Lisa feel bad about it. Yeah. Then we cut to Herb alone with Maggie in a bedroom, and he's putting her to bed as he's singing the Powell Motors theme, which I like that. Powell makes a pow, pow, powerful car. This is when I thought as a kid, wait, is he going to kidnap Maggie? That was right. my first thought when he says, you're going to make me rich again. It's dark music over it. Then we cut to the family playing Monopoly. I love the overhead shot of the whole family there. And this was right around, I was old enough, well, it actually was that my little brother was now old enough at seven that we could all understand the rules of Monopoly yeah. and play a four-person family Monopoly. And it really can reveal the <laughs> cracks in a relationship, in a family relationship playing Monopoly. <laughs> I was the real Monopoly head in my family. I really got into it. You were the one asking to play the games? Yes, yeah. and I demanded a Monopoly set. <laughs> my brother was that in our family, but he was so arrogant that we would often team up to destroy him, which really turns out to not be a good <laughs> family dynamic. <laughs> But, like, having four other family members team up on him was probably not healthy for a 10-year-old. No, I mean, as a 10-year-old, the hurts I remember in Monopoly, which, again, it's stupid. Like, this is dumb, but I was a dumb kid. It was that if me and my brother were competing over real estate and our mom had, like, the third piece that would complete something, we would both be trying to negotiate with her. And if she ever sided with my brother, even once, which, you know, I'm sure she was playing fair and just playing the game normally. But if she ever made the deal with him over me, I'd be like, you hate me. You always <laughs> side with it. And it got even worse with Risk. Oh, when no. she teamed up, If she teamed up against me in Risk, that really made Hey, it's know. war, buddy. I, yeah. It's not I pretty. Know. And also, I mean, it hurt more, too, because typically a Risk game is like twice as long Ugh. as a Monopoly game. So, But like half of a Risk game is the end game. You're like, there's two of you left. Stop. <laughs> Are we going to just be rolling dice for the next two hours yep. just to see? Uh, uh, and uh, But yes, as as the game goes on, he lands on Ventnor Avenue, and this is correct. $1,150 is how much it cost on a hotel mm. at Ventnor Avenue. So this is accurate. But then this is when the topic of the $2,000 comes up. That's all I got. Broke again, eh, Herb? Just like in real life. <laughs> I guess you're just not much of a businessman. Oh. Maybe we should play another game. Why are we playing games when we got two grand in the bank? Remember when Dad won the first annual Montgomery Burns Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Excellence? Well, I think we should invest in a set of the great books of Western civilization. Look at this ad from New Republic for Kids. Each month, a new classic will be delivered to our door. Paradise Regained, Martin Chuzzlewit, or Herman Melville's twin classics, Omo and Typey. Wait, Marge, didn't you want to spend that money on a vibrating chair? That was your idea. I think we should get a machine gun. We could use it to hunt games, spell out things, or ring in the new year. Well, I really think we need to replace the washer and dryer. How would you like to spend $2,000 to give a broken man a second chance? Nah. <laughs> I just love Homer's, nah. 
Nah. Uh, I really like the joke about the book series you get, and it's all the least in demand books from all of these great authors. <laughs> the kind you have to Google, like even now, I like no, nobody knows Martin Chuzzlewit of Charles Dickens. I again, I had to Google this. I didn't know Charles Dickens wrote Martin Chuzzlewit or Omu and Typey. Like according to Wikipedia, those were Herman Melville's like biggest hits when he was alive. Mm. People knew Omu and Typey more than Moby Dick at a certain time. And apparently, you know, get this, guys, this 200-year-old book, a little problematic in how it talks about the anthropology of the Polynesian people in these are, old moon type. Are you a Goodreads review? Because that's all I see. When I read a 160-year-old book, all the reviews say, I could have done without the sexism. It was written in 1848. What do you want? I know. <laughs> I understand at the same time, but also you can't go back in time. Right. But right, maybe right, I should right. ask you to find a way. Yes. Yeah. Figure out how to go back in time and review these. Like even be like, you know what? It was hard to stomach me thinking back to that being the way of things. Yes. Yes. When, even when a, like, a better way to put it. Like I wish, you know, Ethan Frome didn't have some of this stuff. What are they going to do? <laughs> what do you it's prefer? also funny. All the books Lisa lists, they're just free online now. You can just mm -hmm. read all of these for free. If oh, yeah. you go to like the Gutenberg Project, every single one of the books Lisa names you can read. Or if you prefer using the Kindle app, these are the type of books that Kindle just has for free. You don't even have to pay for them. You can read Omu and Taipei right now if you wanted to. But don't. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's like, if you haven't read Moby Dick first, like like you said, Bob, what a great smart guy joke that the books are, this should be the Tale of Two Cities and Moby Dick, but it's- And all, Paradise Lost. And Paradise Lost, yeah. Instead of Milton's much less liked Paradise Regained. <laughs> also, New Republic for Kids, that had to be under the Andrew Sullivan era of New Republic, and I feel like Lisa shouldn't be reading that, mm. or maybe she'd cancel her subscription when the bell curve came out a couple years after this. Yeah. Google it, or that guy sucks. I swear I walked by Andrew Sullivan in an airport, and I wish I'd given him the finger recently. <laughs> I was like, Ed, I shouldn't assume this guy who looks just like Andrew Sullivan in the Seattle airport is Andrew Sullivan. I probably don't want to give the middle finger to somebody who might not be Andrew Especially Sullivan. Especially if he gets that a lot. He's like, before you even do it, man, I'm not Andrew Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get back to Miami. I'm a 60-year-old man who stayed in shape and has a beard, okay? I'm not <laughs> Andrew Sullivan. Is that a crime now? <laughs> I can see from your body language what you're going to do. I'm not him. <laughs> I'm also sick of seeing it because if you watch, say, pro wrestling on TNT, you have to watch goddamn ads for that Bill Maher show, and they show clips of Sullivan on it all the time, and yeah. I'm so sick of seeing Club it. Club Random? No, no. Uh, well, I mean, uh, real time. Though, of course, I mean, the, he's one of the best guests, recurring guests on Club Random. If you, <laughs> you want to watch two men in their 60s get very high and say the exact things you think men in their 60s would say, which is, things are so different now, and everybody's crazy but me. Yeah. So, yes. This list of problems of all the things they want for $2,000, I feel like in a script that had more time or less tired writers, <laughs> they would have brought it up in Act 1. They would not be doing this at the end of Act 2, yeah. <laughs> saying all the stuff that they'd want or how they spend the $2,000. When I was doing my notes for this last night, the washing machine in my apartment complex broke. It broke. <laughs> it didn't even shake around like this one. It there's just only broke. one? No, there's two, and the, the other one was already broken, and so the second <laughs> one broke. There's one on every floor. I live in a three-floor place, so I could just go down to floor two, which is what I did with my wet laundry, walked it down to the second floor. I'm going to say it was sabotage. 
I think so. You know, they've got a security camera in there. I need to request the footage from from my landlord. <laughs> what? What if it's your every fault time, in some way you just put a boot in there and didn't know? Every time I've asked them for that security footage, that's when they have to admit, like, yeah, it doesn't work anymore. The camera's <laughs> just for show. The camera's just a sticker on the wall. <laughs> but, yeah, so Homer is then asked to give Herb a second chance. He just needs 20 minutes of his time. And, again, I just love he goes like, oh, <laughs> but this is a quick one. But this is another iconic Simpsons moment here. I want to give you a 20-minute presentation that will change the world. 20 minutes? Oh. Okay. Now, before I tell you about my idea, I'd like to show you this. It's drinking the water! <laughs> Take it easy, Homer. Now, this is an example of how one little idea, carefully marketed... This is the greatest invention in the world. You'll make a million dollars. No, Homer. That invention is out already. I'm just using it as an example. <laughs> Going back for more. <laughs> That's a great DeVito noise. He's got a lot of great noises in this one. Just like, Rah. Yeah, Homer loves it. And I love that this is like a now that we've all had office jobs. I am now used to this very basic presentation thing of like, before I give you my presentation, let me show you this. Uh, just yeah. a little toy. Yeah. Homer thinks this is the invention. He loves it. He will spend a million dollars on it. And you know what? If he, right now on Amazon, you can get drinking birds exactly like this one. $10 for one or a six pack for $27. <laughs> one for every room. <laughs> <laughs> There's even one that's like it's a little glass that has it on the corner so it looks like it's like drinking out of your martini glass oh, oh. So. this episode is at the precipice of raffi being the most annoying children's entertainer and then the dawn of barney yeah i mean raffi would still be around for the rest of the 90s but barney we did it in our history barney only just debuted on pbs when we're talking in the, about in the fall one. of 92 right yeah 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 or wait yeah no that was on a batman look we do a lot of <laughs> histories a lot of times here folks I also do love hearing Nancy's delivery of the long, just to say the Mr. Burns award again is so funny and yeah. the way Nancy does it again is Bart. That's great. I feel like it's a cute joke about how kids will just buy into anything that's presented to them. Like he's on board with the entire award being sincere. <laughs> and he memorized all of it. Don't you remember when dad won the Montgomery Burns award for outstanding achievement in the field of excellence and doesn't miss a beat, just says it straight up. I also like Bart saying, like, somebody's going to bilk you out of your money. It may as well be your brother. <laughs> yeah, I could tell John Swartzwelder wrote this because Bart uses the word shyster and bilk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. Homer has the condition that he wants to be treated like a brother. Then Herb responds with, nope. And he goes like, all right, then, okay, then just give me the drinking bird. <laughs> Like you said, Bob, not a lot left to do in the episode once the agreement of $2,000 is made. That's why this is a very short third act. We have the design phase of him learning from Maggie. I love the gorilla mask he puts on. I think it's a funny drawing. And then I think this is the first on-screen vomit in the show. Hmm. You know, there's maybe some silhouetted vomit and off-screen vomit, but I think this is the first time you actually see spit up come out of somebody yeah, on yeah. The Simpsons. Huh. and you're right this act is four minutes long <laughs> it's very quick just push it all to the end you know by the time you get to act three people are just on the edge of their seat waiting for martin they don't, they don't <laughs> care how, how devito does this. i want to know what's so crazy is he going to explain it <laughs> is it really me 
created and, uh, a flawless so yeah. baby translation device, but that is the fastest part of the episode. Yeah. The least time <laughs> no, is spent on the most interesting part of the story. It works perfectly the first time he presents it. Yeah. Everything's great about it. So Herb, after a little montage, has finished his prototype. I like this whole little sequence here. Now, I bet you're all wondering what lies under this sheet. Not really. We peeked inside while you were in the john. Oh. Well, here it is again. My baby translator. Whoa. Marge, you don't have to humor me. Well, it's pretty ingrained. What do you think, Homer? Herb, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe we blew 2,000 bucks on it when right now rollers could be needing my buttocks. Homer, could you stop thinking about your ass? I try, but I can't. <laughs> Lavish attention on me and entertain me. <gasps> Maggie, you talked! You see? It tells you exactly what's on the baby's mind. Maggie! Maggie! Ba-da-ba. Where did you go? Peekaboo! <laughs> oh, there you are. Very amusing. Well, Homer, now what do you think? I don't know, Herb. People are afraid of new things. You should have taken an existing product and put a clock in it or something. Homer, every mother in the country is going to want one of these. I have soiled myself. How embarrassing. In these early years, I can definitely tell what is a James L. Brooks line or what is somebody trying to write like him, what that line would be. Marge saying, well, it's pretty ingrained. That does feel like a James L. Brooks line. His lines are always like a very pithy quote in which the character is a little too articulate for that character. It's hilarious hearing Marge say it, but you're right. It's too smart for how they normally write Marge, but I love like, well, it's pretty ingrained. Like (laughs) that's her defense. Like it's very ingrained for me to humor people. I just do that all the time. It's automatic reaction. Yeah. It's very honest. (laughs) I like it. I also love how as a kid, I think I remember the joke I laughed at the most was Bart just saying, like, not really. We looked, we looked under it while you were in the john. Like, taking away any tension in this scene. <laughs> I should note, too, that this is another one I remember us watching because it was that our family, in a few months, was going to move to Florida. So we were going to go to Florida together to, like, look at potential homes as a family. And then we were going to miss this episode, and I was freaking out about it. And we said it to record on a timer on our VCR like we'd never done it before was a real risk and the excitement I felt when the episode was properly recorded and we watched it together as a family like any nerves I had about my life being changed again I would be very depressed later about having to move but I was feeling pretty good watching this episode and it shut off just as Martin began (laughs) that's really why we didn't watch it because we set the timer from 8 to 8 30 so I mean I do think it's funny hearing Herb Danny DeVito's voice translating babies that's a very funny concept yeah though for this to work plot wise they also have to kind of toss out a key thing to Maggie Maggie never makes noises ever like it's not just that he doesn't say words yeah she never makes noises but she has to make noises for this episode that's a good point and I also feel one thing that's missing is that Herb can finally confront Abe and that's not on his agenda at all you're right you're right where's my deadbeat father (laughs) He should get punched in the face, right? Yeah. Exactly. He should be hunting down his dad in town. I mean, it's not just a random thought because Abe shows up at the end of the last Herb episode saying, you know, hot diggity, where's that rich son of mine or whatever. (laughs) And then he finds out the truth from Homer on the ride back. You know, we got us a pitch for another episode, Herb meets Abe. We can do something there. I mean, yes, like Abe, as we learned in the first episode, 
Abe just shoved his kid into an orphanage and never gave him a home he could have because he had had it with a floozy instead of his wife. <laughs> and so he was a childhood shame. Like, that's a horrible thing to have done to Herb. Yeah. If he's already this mad at Homer, you got to think that he, you know, he would want to kill Abe. <laughs> and wouldn't that be funny to hear Danny DeVito say that stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also do love, there you are, very amusing. <laughs> we then have a very slapdash shoved in at the last second, all ADR, reusing of a scene from Homer Alone. That's what it's from. Okay, yeah, it's all Frankenstein together. In Homer Alone, it's the scene where Homer is describing their trips together when Marge is saying that she wants to go on a vacation by herself. And it's Homer going, Marge, can I have another sandwich? But here it's him saying he still treats me like something he dug off his shoe. This, again, is a very James L. Brooks. I mean, it's a smart story device. You go back to the bedroom with the family and they reestablish the stakes. Though if you've forgotten the stakes so entirely when writing it, at the very last second you have to pluck out a scene from another episode and put new dialogue in it to explain it. Feels like that should have been dealt with when you're writing the episode yeah. instead of once the animation comes yeah, back. The bedroom scene is about 19 minutes in. <laughs> yes, just to let you know, like, oh, by the way, Homer feels bad his brother doesn't love him because we didn't have one scene of that after Homer gets punched in the face. <laughs> so we go to the baby con, the E3 for baby item. That's just E3, Henry. No. Oh, oh, damn. You heard what I said. And, uh, well, now it's over. <laughs> You're pissing on its grave here, Bob. Where the three? Oh, it's right. It's dead anymore. now. It's dead. <laughs> Never go. Uh, so, That's true. It's true. I like the stuff around it, but the yeah. Hooters. Uh, <laughs> yes, the ESPN. LA zone. Live. Yeah, LA Live. <laughs> all the all the best things. <laughs> no, actually, I only one year did I ever get to have fun at a party at E3. Every other year, I was. Working insanely hard all of the time. Yeah. And could not enjoy a free drink if I wanted to. It's a twin convention. No triplets invited. We head around. First, we see Dog in a Ball, which that feels like a very John Schwarzwelder idea. Then we learn that for a time, Professor Frank had a baby and a wife. In the old money episode, when he's asking for enough money to build a death ray, he's like, my wife thought this whole idea was crazy in the first place. So (laughs) in his first few appearances, it was established that he had a partner. And now we're seeing a child. And he says his wife's going to kill him, which now we can create the narrative that, oh, so he got divorced after this. <laughs> I mean, also because we don't see this kid again. So he killed a child. Yeah, he like killed Frank yeah, is, killed yeah. yeah. And there was going to be a scene, but it was cut, in which the baby landed in Red Square in Soviet Russia. And it was a reference to an actual news story in which a teenager landed a Cessna plane in 1987 he got four years in a labor camp for doing that a west german teenager i should say ah i can see why man to land in the middle of red square that's impressive but again yeah they cut they're like oh the ussr it's gone now (laughs) guess we better just cut this and instead let people assume that frank killed a child (laughs) it's fine i have a quick clip here of frank's presentation as well as herb's instant success This radio-controlled plane gives your baby the chance to fly, just like my son here. He can execute the barrel roll, loop-de-loop, then bring it in for the perfect landing. Oh dear, my wife is going to kill me. I only want to eat candy. Then that's all you'll get. This leash demeans us both. I'll take two. I'll take a dozen. I represent the precious baby discount stores. I'll take 50,000. I'm rich again. USA! 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 
<laughs> you know, we're talking about seeing cheese pizza boxes and thinking about the delicious cheese in there. When I see a kid on a leash, that's exactly what I think. Every time. And I know they're necessary for some children. Some kids are runners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're going to be in pet cemetery soon enough if they didn't have a leash on them. <laughs> yep. But this leash to me just both that has stuck with me forever is like what a smart thing whenever i try to sound smart about something i'm probably just paraphrasing this very smart sounding statement yeah <laughs> this leash demeans us both and also i love that the mom hears i only want to eat candy and when she gets this translation she's like then that's all you'll get like <laughs> oh, since i know a baby only wants to eat candy i better give it candy all the time <laughs> You know, it's funny on the commentary, Nancy loves playing database. So she suggests like, hey, you should make Frank's kid database. So that way database could be more on the show again. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Mac Rainings in the room. and He's a real database hater. Yeah, it's so sad. Database is such a perfect character. Being a funny characters, I love the baby face design of the head of precious baby discount stores. Like he looks like a huge baby man yeah like he just has such a little like face it's a fun design and yes a great parody of the ease of the american dream i'm rich again usa usa now i didn't understand that joke before the guy does have a baby's head kind of they basically just drew a baby's head on this businessman. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I'm just noticing for the... Thank you, Henry. Thank you. Sorry to dial oh, us back no, there. No. He's why they make up the word baby face. Like, I'm used to hearing in a wrestling context, which is... I'm not going to explain A it. twink? Uh, no, a, no. Some no. sort of wrestling twink? No, no. In... In pro wrestling, a good guy is a baby face. This was a term made up 100 years ago in pro wrestling, and they still use it today to mean the heel is the villain and the baby well, face is the good guy. I learned this, but how can I forget it? <laughs> I'm sorry. Just like how you know the word kayfabe. Uh, I know. Because I'm, I'm sorry that wrestling is ingrained in society so much. It's also funny. It does read as a parody of the American dream. Also because, you know, Danny DeVito, pretty left wing by Hollywood star standards. Mm -hmm. So he is doing this ironically of like, yeah, I'm rich again, USA, USA. The ease of it has to be a joke. Yeah. Now, again, for filler, you, we talk about filler. Having a character give gifts to six different people in the show, that definitely kills a lot of time. And you know, it's a parody, <laughs> so it's easier to write. The structure's yes. already there. Yes. So it's the end of The Wizard of Oz here as he's giving out his gifts to everyone. Homer? Here's a check for $2,000. But I also wanted to give you each a little something for believing in me. Lisa, this is the first volume of the great books of Western civilization. You'll receive a new one every month, from Beowulf to less than zero. Finally a copy of Ethan Frome to call my own. Now, Bart, I know you're too young for that machine gun you wanted, but I'm going to give you something that'll make sure when you're old enough, you can still buy one. A membership in the National Rifle Association. Wow, the NRA. Can I get armor-piercing cyanide-tipped bullets, too? It's in the Constitution, son. <laughs> Maggie, who brought me my fortune, I'll give you anything you want in this world. <laughs> I want what the dog's eating. Dog! I'll get you something nice. Now, Marge. Herb, I appreciate your generosity, but I don't need any gift from you. You're too late, Marge. I got you a new washer and dryer. And I sold the old ones for 50 bucks. Go, go, come on, washer! Yes! Go, you stupid dryer! <laughs> 
God, there's a lot packed in there. Yeah. Well, first I want to apologize to Mike, who's been with us for two hours. We're really giving it to these writers on this episode, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, no, yes, right. And of course, this garbage they're writing is a parody. <laughs> yes. It's still better than anything I'll ever be able to write. But <laughs> no, yeah. No, it's it has funny moments in this little run, though. I love this run. I want to repeat this over and over again, but like this is some of the best like comedy writing of its era, like period. Mm-hmm. But as a plot that oh, tells uh, a yeah. story. It's, it's loose. Yeah. It's a loose plot. It's, yeah. it's nice that every character gets a joke that's true to the character. Yeah. I mean, th- boy, this NRA joke, though, this is darker every year since <laughs> this joke happened. The joke of that, specifically that it's a machine gun. Like, yeah. I don't know if the AR-15 existed yet. Like, that's the key point right now. And of course, people say, like, you know, it's not even technically a machine gun, they say about the And AR-15. it stands for automatic rifle. Well, there you go. <laughs> no, it stands for Armalite. Oh, man. I was trying to piss people off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently when they wrote this joke, Bart wanted armor-piercing cop-killer bullets, not cyanide-tipped. And the Fox censor did not want Bart to say cop-killer bullets. <laughs> so... <laughs> We were coming off of a riot <laughs> mm-hmm. or uprising, however you want to say it. That's true. Yes. The LA riots after the horrible verdict of the Rodney King trial that happened. So I get, but yes, when I looked into the history of the cop killer bullets thing is, which is a term for Teflon coated bullets that can pierce soft body armor. It's a rare time where sort of from the right, there was moves for some type of gun control, the lightest gun control, which is a specific type of bullet could not be sold right. to people, which you better believe in my Google search on this, I instantly found huh. a pro-gun website that's like the myth of cop killer bullets. And actually, like, did you guys know that if you just shot a bullet from a regular rifle, it's more powerful and can pierce soft body armor just as easily as a cop killer bullet, yet those are still on sale. We should not be limiting the sale of Teflon coated cop killer bullets and handguns in, in some Jesus. American states. Basically, it is sort of kind of illegal to buy handgun-sized cop killer bullets now, but as you know, just because something is illegal in one state in America doesn't mean you can't just go to another state and buy the same bullet somewhere. I think they need a better name, you know? Man, I wish I'd have written it down. In that guy's article, definitely he kept saying Teflon-coated bullets, but there was another term he used, too, instead of to say the cop killer is a misnomer. And actually, it's used by cops more than anybody. And it kind of kills everything, really, if you think about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a child being given an NRA membership, oh. like, oof. And I know yeah. when I was 10, I probably thought, oh, man, Bart gets to have a cool gun later. Awesome. <laughs> yes. It's in the Constitution. <laughs> what a great line. I yeah. mean, yes, Mike, you've probably written many, many comedy pieces on this very idea. Oh, man. Yeah, what if our WGA awards are, it was for our gun special? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the thing is, like, you know, his whole character is kind of a parody of the American dream. So for him, too, it's like nothing bad could come of this. Yeah. Like, it's that sort of feeling of, like, if it's in the Constitution, it's safe. And it was a relatively new idea then of the NRA stance of the Second Amendment means machine guns. Yeah. Or any, and it should mean bazookas, really. Anything, right. Like, why? I guess there's all this, like, fiercely pro-American sentiment from Herb, which is why Lisa's getting the best of the Western Civilization collection, which has different baggage today. 
You're right. God, you're right. Well, it sounds like Andrew Sullivan. Who yeah, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. FM. <laughs> no wonder it was advertised in his magazine. You're right, man. These aren't the classical works of Indian fiction. Or, no. Right. Uh, no. Now, if you hear intellectuals, and probably then, when you heard him talk about the works of great Western civilization, it means white people. That's what it's about. The, the kids who got these books are now posting about marble statues and columns on <laughs> oh Twitter. Yes. Oh my God, those people, man. <laughs> the they are lamest. so hard for columns, man. They <laughs> What's keeping us from doing this? I don't know. The entire way the economy worked. Do you want to pay an artist like $50,000 to live with you and do that? <laughs> no. Yes. The business cannot be blamed for it. The government, no, it's that we used to be cooler and did that <laughs> stuff. It was just better. Look what they took from us and shows like a rusty old rain gutter that has a cool like mouth on it or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's also very funny that Mo is running racing competitions between washer and dryers and he's losing money on it. He bought them to race them and he bet against the dryer. (laughs) I like they have numbers on them. That to me is so fun. Just that it's like, no, no, I got to go with number 17. (laughs) <laughs> i love hearing barty go like oh washer <laughs> yeah they're, they're clearly different machines and there's only two of them but they also have numbers <laughs> painted on them yes we then have one last bit here of a happy ending which before i play the clip i want to say one of the best bits of animation in this episode needlessly so in a way that you don't notice unless you know how hard it is to animate things homer and er go outside homer's walking him to his car They close the door and then they walk to the sidewalk. And in the staging of it, there's no reason that they couldn't just say all of this standing at the front door. They don't need to walk forward. To walk forward means that the background has to animate, which the line density of that makes it like 10 times as expensive to animate than if they just stood there. And I don't know why they do it other than just to like have a little bit of opulent animation at the end of the episode. It's a nice added touch. It looks great, but I was like, if I were to talk to Rich Moore, I'd be like, why do you even have this camera move? It feels <laughs> like it could mess up at any moment in it and you got to pay for a retake. They could just stand here and say this. But yes, Homer and Herb have a reuniting here. What do I get? What do I get? It's not another punch in the face, is it? Because if it is, I don't want it. This is what you get, Homer. I forgive you. You can call me brother and I can do the same. That's it? That's it. I see your point, brother. Give me a hug, brother. All right, but I never really hugged a man before. <laughs> Homer, I bought you the damn chair. That's enough, all right, get out of here. And we end with a close-up of Homer's jiggling sperm in the episode. <laughs> and we have to assume the kids broke the chair in between seasons. Yes. In the month between seasons three and four. Yeah. It's never seen again. I mean, in general, if you think about this ending as something that like persists in the universe, the Simpsons should never have a money problem ever again because... Uh, they have a rich Uncle Herb who will bail them out of anything and who owes them big time. Yeah. I mean, also, too, he pays them back $2,000 and then basically gives them a nice, but not like crazy good gift. 
what like they should own 10 percent of his company <laughs> they are the seed money for it like he's screwing them out of this homer needs to take them to court like out of a social network for huh. his ownership yeah. of the baby translator business well he is living the american dream now isn't he that's true now they here's another pitch for a simpsons episode all we're seeing now are these like tetris movie the blackberry movie all these like the air you do one where it's they're making a movie about herb biopic and homer's in it and it's telling the story of how the baby translator business started hmm. and and then really boom a famous person plays herb so you got a big guest star yeah. it could be if Chris Pine says yes, you plug Chris Pine in there. If not, Hank Azaria can just do it. But I'm saying you we, make calls to management. We should appreciate executives more, I think. <laughs> They're the real businessmen. Yeah. They make it. You know, Michael Jordan played basketball well. Who cares? <laughs> and also, I, I choose to believe that a, another couch was delivered later. It was like a secret third gift. <laughs> yes. Or, or sixth gift or yeah. whatever. You want to have everybody or that 2000 went to a new couch. I mean... I do love the constant shots of Homer sitting on a broken couch. Like, it's just a funny picture, <laughs> but you just have to forget the ending of this episode because the couch, like his nice chair is gone. They don't have a rich uncle that they can call on for help ever again. And Danny DeVito's character, save for one line in 2013, will never be seen again either. So, which again, I never get this. Danny DeVito has never been more popular than right now, and he yeah. would be a big guest star to have on a show. And he seems to still be friends with James L. Brooks. It's not like he had a falling out with him or anything. So I don't. Right. It only happened when Jim Brooks it. will do coke with him again. <laughs> he's, he's holding out. You're right. They got to have another coke party. I mean, at their age, a coke party it's a, it's a risk. It's a real risk. <laughs> I will say, I guess, final thoughts on this one. It's pretty. Again, like you said, Henry, the writers are very tired. <laughs> And ultimately, this is made to get us ready for Martin, and I was. So, you know, it, it succeeded in that respect. But I like this. It's one of the novelty sequel episodes that didn't really happen a lot, and it still it is a novelty to me to see Herb come back, especially because he never did outside of one phone call. So, yeah, it's fun. Still season three. It's one of the last classy chew-up episodes. We're heading towards the end, people. So I appreciate everyone that we see from this era. So, uh, yeah, I do like this one. I give it an A plus on joke writing and acting. It's like a C, C minus plot driven thing. But that's why, you know, comedies are great because they're funny, not always about having like a great plot, you know? Yeah. I'd rather watch a comedy with great jokes and a bad plot versus one with a great plot and crappy jokes. I agree. A true classic. And I wish they bring back Danny DeVito. Every time I hear Danny DeVito making a Danny DeVito noise in this episode, <laughs> I'm like, God, he's so funny. Yeah. Just love his like, yeah, why did you, why did you, like, uh, but yeah, that's my final thoughts on it, <laughs> Mike. Um, I mean, you said it all, man. Uh, no, I think I'm sort of the same. I think this episode has amazing jokes and the story's kind of like loosey goosey. You know, it feels its way out, but it's a very sweet episode. Like, I'm the type of sentence person that really likes sort of like the sweet emotional core of it at certain times. And I really like that here, especially as someone who has like complicated family stuff. It's like, you know what? These two don't know how to say I love you in any way that's actually healthy, but at least they're trying to. I need to buy my strange brother a chair. <laughs> that's where right. it all begins. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's the healing can start then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thanks for joining us, Mike. Please let us know where to find you online. And if you want to plug anything, now's your chance. Sure. Uh, you can find me online at Mike Drucker on Twitter or at Mike Drucker is dead on Instagram. You know what? Might as well just plug a book. I did a book like two years ago for Boss Fight Books about Silent Hill 2. It's still out there if you want to buy it. Buy Silent Hill 2 by Boss Fight Books, please. 
You and Bob, fellow boss fight book. Oh uh, yeah, 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 buddies. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, boss fight book buddies. That's good. Mine will be out in September about Day of the Tentacle. But this is Mike's plug. Yes, this yes. This is my <laughs> plug. This is my plug. <laughs> You're a great follow on Twitter. You're one of the funniest guys out there. Thank you. Uh, on Twitter. Even as Twitter's going through a lot, and who knows where it's at in a month from now. But yeah. the consistent part of Twitter, check or no, Mike Drucker thank is you. a funny guy. Thank you so much. That's so nice of you. And I love you guys on there, too. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> what a thank love you. fest at the end here. Just like the episode of Simpsons we did. <laughs> See? Uh, but thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks again to Mike Drucker for being on the show. Please check out everything he does. But if you want to check out more of what we do and get these episodes one week at a time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Sign up there for five bucks a month. You'll get just that, but also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. That's over 150 bonus podcasts to date, which includes episodes about Mission Hill, The Critic, and Batman, the animated series. And that $5 a month will also get you monthly access to Talking Futurama and Talking of the Hill and the entire back catalog of those shows as well. And it's all happening behind the $5 paywall at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and there is a $10 level as well. When you sign up for that you can access all of the $5 stuff naturally but you can also access one extremely long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher. And what is that Henry? Bob's talking about our monthly premium podcast What a Cartoon Movie. You get to hear us go super in-depth into an animated feature film just like we do an episode of The Simpsons which means often talking for over five or even six hours about said film. Last month, we did our April Fools of covering a live-action film where we went super in-depth into Little Shop of Horrors, the 1986 classic, and its amazing director's cut. This month, we're starting our summer of Pixar, and it's beginning with a bang with Toy Story 4. So please, if you sign up at that $10 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, you can hear those podcasts, over 50 previous What a Cartoon movies of everything from Akira to a Goofy movie. We cover so many different films, and you get all the Five dollar things Bob mentioned too. So please check it all out for yourself at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, and my other podcast is Retronauts, the classic gaming podcast all about old video games. Find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. And I also have a book coming out in September, which I mentioned it's the Day of the Tentacle book, so please buy it if you love me, and I know you do. Henry, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. If you're following me and Bob on Twitter, of course, we also would suggest you follow the official account on Twitter of this podcast podcast at talk simpsons pod at talk simpsons pod keeps you up to date whenever there's new podcasts on the free feed or on patreon or other stuff going on in our lives and you should also check out our official instagram account also at talk simpsons pod and if you want an easy to follow list of all the free podcasts we've released of talking simpsons or what a cartoon head on over to talking simpsons podcast.com Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you again next time for Season 14's Treehouse of Horror 13, and we'll see you then. Stand in front of this, open that, pull down this, bend over, spread apart that, turn your head that way, cough.